Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie. Happy New Year, everybody. Hope 2022 brings you more good tidings and positive vibes than 2021 did. Um, It's become almost just like a meme at this point where every time another year comes by, it's like, (laughs) man, that fucking year sucked. Like, fuck this shit. Um... (laughs) You know, I don't know. It's like sort of the collective cynicism, depression of of all of society sort of expressing that, I think. Um, and I tend to be more cynical in general. So, like, I almost find it, like, amusing that other people are feeling like that. <laughs> Someone brought up the point where it's, like, this new trend of just getting mad at years <laughs> yeah. instead of, like, class consciousness. Or <laughs> yeah. It is funny, though, how there's so many, like, weird... Like, remember how for, like, years we were like, dude, why does it seem like whenever the liberals have adopted anything that's, like, a legitimate rhetorical point, it's very easy to just, like, act like it's now suddenly bad. And to believe that, well, if they're adopting it, it must actually be something that helps the establishment. And then to, like, write off the entire concept of, like, race solidarity, (laughs) you know, again, because McDonald's puts up, like, a black square and... I, we've talked about this so many times. and mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole delegitimization of identity politics as either a distraction, which in part it is because it's utilized by the ruling class to superficially tokenize, weaponize these very real issues that do have deep meaning. I mean, obviously, like, <laughs> you know, trans rights, for example, this is a liberatory philosophy that's tied into other identity politics that's tied into class struggle and oppression so it's annoying and it it's a problem right and it's going back to that whole knee-jerk reaction to liberals really is what it comes down to january 6 is one of those issues where you do notice sort of a strange reaction to it on the left uh i mean also on the right as well, but that the left reaction mostly arises out of a knee-jerk reaction against liberals acting like it was another 9-11, acting like it was a coup, you know, calling all the pr- protesters insurrectionists or coup plotters. Um, all the left takes on it seem to revolve around reacting against the liberal takes rather than diving into a more deeper, like, cr- like take and also, I've noticed that we were talking about the Darren J. Beatty thing on the last episode. A lot of people on the left, I've noticed, who are a little bit more conspiratorial-minded are also promoting that Darren J. Beatty piece. And it's, again, it's very fascinating to me because he's even more right-wing than Steve Bannon. Frank Gaffney and other neocons love promoting this piece as well. So I have to say the same thing. I'm a little more concerned about when neocons are sharing and promoting something as a red flag that that's probably something you should knee-jerk react against, like automatically and be like, wait a second, if a neocon is promoting like a false flag feds in the protest piece, uh, then maybe it's not actually like the critique of the federal government that I think it is. Maybe it's not actually pointing to how feds infiltrate all protest movements for pretty much the dawn of time and how it's been a problem with left activism to just be aware of uh, that there are infiltrators in almost every protest. And so it is very fascinating to me to see even leftists promoting that Darren J. Beattie piece when it is like a right-wing limited hangout that eliminates any structural analysis of like Cointelpro, 
of feds targeting left activist movements. It actually also just admits QAnon, which the left seems to be fine just pretending doesn't or exist Or culpability either. to Trump and Republicans. Well, that too, who yeah. quite obviously fomented this riot. I, I, I mean, I can't stress that enough. After we did the last podcast, Robbie, I kind of sat on my thoughts for a week and I remembered so many more things that I even forgot when we kind of extemporaneously brought it up. I mean, you know, the the hanging Mike Pence, the gallows that was erected, the Ayanna Presley claiming that her panic button was ripped out of the office. I mean, where is the follow-up on that? <laughs> like, who did that? Was that real? No one was held accountable for that. Was someone from the inside let protesters come in or were they paving the way for someone to like actually harm her? There's so many unanswered questions aside from the most obvious one, which is this was an inside job, but not in the way that Darren G. Beattie is painting it. This is an inside job in the sense that all echelons of the establishment in one way or another let this happen and also covered it up. They could have easily charged many, many people down the line with crimes you know, like this was downplayed by a lot of the same figures, and I'll just name the most prominent one, Glenn Greenwald. Someone said on our comments on SoundCloud, name names of the people you're talking about, otherwise it just seems like you're chasing phantoms. Well, quite obviously, Glenn Greenwald is the worst offender of, of this kind of mentality. But I mean, even someone like him was downplaying the notion that Trump would try to desperately maintain power in some ham-fisted way, and then, of course, downplaying the actual attempts that Trump did just that. <laughs> like, So it's just, you can't win, right? You can't win with these people. And I think that more to the point of the fissuring and division of reality in this partisan prism is a poll that was taken. Uh, this was a poll that was taken pretty sure at the beginning of 2021. Yeah, I think it was the, the anniversary of January 6th by Axios Momentive um, that says, quote, more than 40% of Americans still do not believe that Joe Biden legitimately won the 2020 presidential election, despite no evidence of widespread voter fraud. A majority of Americans also said they are expecting a repeat of the January 6th, quote unquote, attack in the next few years. Um, that's a pretty alarming statistic, and it just points to the fact that there is huge sectors of society that do not accept Joe Biden as president. They actually are in that line of thinking where they think Trump did legitimately win, that there was widespread voter fraud. But that's not that's not that absurd on its face, because look at what the Democrats did for four years. And I'm not trying to like conflate the two. I'm saying this is a legitimate grievance that I have, that this kind of conspiratorial framework takes root much better when you have when you have a, an entire political party that has paved the way rhetorically for this illegitimate presidency narrative, which is what they were saying Trump was for four years, installed by a foreign government, a Putin puppet, a foreign agent. I mean, that entire Russiagate hoax basically lended itself to all of these Republicans, tens of millions of people losing trust in the system and losing trust in the fact that this is some sort of sacred institution, that we all need to respect U.S. democracy, right? The, the premise of our foreign policy. Um, and now they think the same thing about Biden. So we're living in a very strange partisan divide that continues to widen at an exponential rate. Um, and I don't know where it's going to go, but 
I think it's a very problematic thing. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, I, I just can't keep, I just cannot escape the thought of how strange the whole event was and how Trump seemingly was p- making like Mike Pence a sacrificial lamb and how all these right-wing pundits on their shows and on TV acted like it wasn't a big deal, tried to spin it by basically saying Antifa made it happen at the beginning. Even some right-wing conspiracy videos, the very first ones I saw about January 6th, were actually really, really disturbing. So if it's not bad enough to see Ashley Babbitt uh, getting shot in the neck, like just in a video with no commentary, imagine how disturbing it would be to watch like a right-wing conspiracy video playing literally yakety sax music, like cartoon comedy music over Ashley Babbitt bleeding out, claiming she is acting and she's a crisis actor and she's part of some kind of Antifa Democrat like ex- like theatrics where the whole thing was staged. That was the way that the right wing was originally approaching January 6th. So their narrative kept changing and changing over time. You know, and some aspects of sort of the liberal mainstream media narrative kept changing too. But the right really seized on those, like how people died at the riots, like that woman who got trampled. First, they made it sound like she got trampled. And then later they were like, oh, no, she died from an amphetamine overdose. She was like a protester or the cop who people said got uh, bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. Apparently, he just had a heart attack. But there are videos of cops getting, like, really badly assaulted, even though I fucking hate cops. That's, like, it's, that's still true. So there's so much nuance (laughs) to the debate that I just can't stand seeing these hot generic takes where people think they're taking, like, a renegade take against the libs. But in reality, they're mostly just, like, repeating a very easily digestible, low-hanging fruit hot take that's not really explaining the full picture. Like, I've even seen some leftists saying, like, what's the big deal about January 6th? Like, they let, the cops let everybody in. This wasn't a coup. And it's like, yes, that is, the second part of what you're saying is true, but what's the big deal about it is, like, this was clearly all fucking set up and allowed to happen for some reason. And what reason that was, I don't think it was, to hunt down MAGAs and, and treat them like domestic terrorists. I don't, I'm I actually, at this point, I'm a little more baffled about what the real reason why that happened was. And I think back to someone like Rudy Giuliani, who was clearly doing this, not in the sense that he believed that Stop the Steal was going to be effective, but that it, he knew that it was going to rile people up into some kind of flashpoint. And I think that that was the goal with their side. Now, did they really think that they were going to be able to uh, convince Mike Pence or start a big enough protest movement to convince Mike Pence to not vote to authorize? No, of course they didn't think that. But for some reason, they were really intent in riling people up and creating a flashpoint on January 6th. What was their goal? What was Rudy Giuliani's actual goal? To decertify the election results? I don't think so. I think Rudy Giuliani's actual goal and people like Michael Flynn's actual goal, who were calling for martial law, so that we can like recertify the election. They wanted that they had like the same goal in mind that these people, you know, Darren J. Beatty's saying that these feds had, which is to like basically create some kind of honeypot, like entrapment scenario. So I guess that's the part that really confuses me is like when you really look at all this, it does seem like Flynn, Trump, Giuliani, maybe Trump not so much because he maybe was a true believer, like his ego was so invested in this idea that he he won and he it was his. Like somehow he deserved to win. It does seem like Rudy Giuliani and Michael Flynn were working to the exact same end goal as the same P 
people, you know, if you want to imagine a group in the FBI who's trying to put all these uh, MAGAs on a list of domestic terrorists, it seems like those, that group of FBI people or whoever, however you want to imagine them, is, that has the same goal as like Michael Flynn and Giuliani. So that's a, a little bit what's confusing to me is when you talk about like feds making this protest a false flag, how is it that Giuliani and people like Flynn are considered like the anti-fed, like fi- deep state fighting heroes, even though their end goal seems exactly the same? They couldn't have been dumb enough to think this would work. You know, so I, that's the whole thing that the whole thing is so fucking weird, Abby. I don't even know how to talk about it anymore. And then to see these right wing pundits gaslighting everybody, especially even Tucker Carlson, like acting like QAnon doesn't even exist. Um, it's weird. And just making you feel stupid about thinking January 6th was unsettling. Like, oh, you stupid dupe. Yeah. And it's like, well, we don't think it was a coup, you know, then things like that. Like, I mean, there's just so many weird things about Abby. I mean, even the pipe bomb thing. Like, I'll, look, I'll give this one to the right wing. The pipe bomb thing, I don't know if that was a real right wing protester or not. It might have been a Fed. Like, I'm completely on the fence about it. It is weird that they never caught well, weren't that Weren't they inert? They said they weren't at first, but, like, they didn't go off. So whoever made them seems like they were doing it more to scare. And why? And it's, it, is, it does seem sketchy to me. Like, I don't know what that was. It is weird they haven't caught them. I mean, what do you think about that? Like, do you think that's... I mean, that was always the weirdest part to me is how could you not catch someone who plants pipe bombs in the middle of D.C., like the most heavily surveilled. Exactly. <laughs> you know, especially this day. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about January 6th, but I, it, there are never-ending questions, and it is just very irritating how people talk about it. I mean, it's kind of how I feel about every subject now. Sadly, well, the, because everything's kind really of erupted into a everything's erupted into a culture war, and everything's so polarized that it's hard to even honestly talk about anything that's going on, including COVID. Well, Abby, I mean, aren't you aren't you happy though that at least you know to shore up and make it this turn into a more nuanced debate? The Democrats have learned from their mistakes of being so hyperbolic about this that uh, Nancy Pelosi actually corrected this by bringing Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, to the House floor today to play a Hamilton song. To begin uh, the conversation, we're privileged to have a contribution from one of the great creative talents of our time, Lin-Manuel Miranda. May his beautiful words be an inspiration to us. Among the words he said and in the music, we'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you and we'll give the world to you. Lin-Manuel and his father and the, the uh, Hamilton singers whom we'll hear from said that they were all very honored to be asked to participate today. I believe no challenge is worth abandoning our efforts to unite as Americans. We'll keep working generation after generation until we reach that someday. But then again, I guess I can't say I'm surprised. These people just, it's just permanent head up assery from people like Nancy Pelosi, the most out of touch person in the world, that this is what you want to do to commemorate January 6th is bring up a Hamilton cast member and sing in a song. Who the hell would 
it's so <laughs> fucking corny. The idea of like a rap musical is just so the idea, just the mere idea of it is awful. Like I can't. Well, and also it's just like an all black cast rapping about slave owning founding fathers. It's just strange. You know? Yeah, and it's not even written by a black guy. That's what's also weird about it. It's like a what basically like a white guy. I mean, I know he's not white. He's like Cuban or something, but like <laughs> writing something. But it's still, it's like to me, it's just seems like a white guy writing something for like an all black cast. It's not. I don't know. The whole thing is just so fucking like generic liberalism on steroids. Um, it's an incestuous weird circle jerk too. Like, remember how he like took up so much of a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, that one season where he was like in it a bunch and then oddly just uh, throwing this out there apparently Larry David's divorce from his wife like the environmentalist wife happened because she had an affair with Al Gore and whoa strangely Larry David's show wife Cheryl Hines well his show ex-wife Uncle Enthusiasm, was actually married to Robert F Kennedy Jr which is strange and they just got in trouble well he did cuz he's such a you know covid like politics guy they just got in trouble because she hosted a birthday party where you had to have vaccines, vaccine mandate announcement. Um, so he kind of got what? some shit for that. Uh, so anyways, totally went off a tangent, but really strange. that's Hollywood liberalism for you. But wait, what? Wait, so are you going to get into these text messages or should we just get into the, the... I mean, I don't even know if we should, honestly, like I'm, I'm looking at what I said and I mean, honestly, the text messages from Hannity and Ingram are exactly what you'd expect. Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity were sending text messages furiously to Trump's legal team and basically begging him to stop riling people up into a frenzy. And even Sean Hannity like texted his legal team and said, like, I'm really worried about tomorrow, meaning January 6th. So... I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody that these people were all behind the scenes really worried and scared about what was going to happen on the 6th, but then, you know, in public pretended like it was nothing or it was all Antifa or that it wasn't Trump's fault, you know, completely acting very different on their own shows than they did in private. And one of the most unfortunate things about this, Abby, is that I think the original source for revealing these text messages was Liz Cheney, like on the House floor. And here's the problem <laughs> fundamentally with that. It's like, okay, optically a terrible move. It totally plays into the hand of this idea that the deep state, you know, is going against the Patriots or Trump narrative. Like the most loathed congresswoman in there right now being given exclusive access to leak such important info that exposes Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram is ultimately going to have no effect because then you just make it all about Liz Cheney. And then the cherry on top, Abby, and this, and this happened like months ago that Liz Cheney revealed some of these. They were later printed in magazines, like in newspapers very recently. And this was apparently leaked to her via like an internal investigation. So it's look, it was a bad optical move to do that. And then the cherry on top was they fucking brought her dad in on January 6th as like part <laughs> of the commemoration of like what happened. Bringing in... So it's not just now the rehabilitation of George W. Bush that the liberals are trying to do. It's now like the rehabilitation of like Darth Vader himself, Dick Cheney. And it's just like, how could it get any worse than this and more stupid? And that's what they fucking did, dude. I mean, you know, I kind of like the Biden-Cheney 2024 suggestion because at least it would be Dems thinking outside the box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's what fucking Andrew Yang yeah. said. Andrew Yang, this renegade uh, populist third party guy, um, he's just out there literally just promoting Biden Cheney 2024. You cannot make this shit up. It really is beyond parody. Um, that Dick Cheney, Darth Vader himself, the architect and engineer of all of the worst, most horrific crimes during the Bush administration, um, is just totally rehabilitated to the point where he's actually out there talking about January 6th as if it was akin to, you know, the greatest threat in the world. The party has become such a joke that they actually have no idea what is going on outside of the the tiny bubble of DC politics that they cannot see. How do they not see this? How do they not see that bringing Liz and Dick Cheney on to commemorate January 6th? I mean, just saying that out loud is just so hysterical to me. But But how can they not see that this would backfire? How can they not see that people would be repelled and repulsed by this? Why is it okay to rehabilitate this war criminal? What is going on? They're just dying to lose. They're dying for the right wing to consolidate power. And it just goes along with everything that they do. Every policy that the Democrats put out there backfires and actually ends up aiding and abetting the Republican Party. It really does feel like some giant conspiracy. Like, what is this really all about? Like, is there a fucking man behind the curtain just like laughing at us? Is this a simulation? Are we living in some sort of like holographic simulation? Like, it really does feel that way sometimes because of how out of fucking touch these people yeah, are. You, you, if you pull, if you like did like a joke trivia question saying like, what would be crazier for the Democrats to do to commemorate <laughs> January 6th to play a Hamilton song <laughs> on the House floor or to bring Dick Cheney on? I mean, it would probably to be bring Dick Cheney on and like give him some accolades, but both of them seem like ridiculous things that would only exist in like a parody movie about the Democrats. I mean, the Kente cloth thing that they did at the beginning of BLM, how do you even parody that? How can you even have predicted something right. stupider that they would do than that? You couldn't. It's like, oh, they fucking did that? Holy shit! Like, that's crazy. That image is crazy. That's going to stick with you forever of watching Nancy <laughs> Pelosi kneeling in Kente Cop. I mean, what in the fuck? Who told them to do Meanwhile, that? I mean, like, that's a troll move. <laughs> that is a total fucking troll move, dude. It's like, what is going It's like almost like a, I thought it was like a deep fake, like, video. I was like, what is happening? Like, what? Um, And honestly, this is why straight up, Governor DeSantis, I'm calling it right now, Governor DeSantis will win the presidency in 2024 because of the complete arrogance. It is bewildering, like the arrogance that the Democratic Party has to just keep pushing the same failed policies and creating this vacuum that constantly allows the consolidation of power on the right wing. And and I don't even think I, I don't even think the danger is Trump at all, because Trump, they don't understand what the sentiment in the country is right now about COVID. They are so far away from like the pulse of the American public on this COVID stuff and how disastrous it's been and how deeply distrustful the American public is of like the government policies that have been implemented and stuff and just the narrative that's been put out there by the media. They have no idea what's coming. I mean, I would assume that some of them do because we've all lived long enough and they have to know how this shit works. But like, I do think that the majority of them are, have their heads so far up their asses that they're just going to feign shock, blame the left again, blame Susan Sarandon. But I do think that governor DeSantis will capitalize 
on all the COVID stuff. Um, and he will win because there are so many people who have been completely disillusioned and just they have nowhere else to go. And um, and they they look to him as like someone who's the next Trump. Right. Because Trump has like lost their faith because he's now out there pushing the vaccine and stuff. I don't think that Democrats actually know how how deep this goes because they've just purged it all and sanitized their reality from like what the discussion really is across the country. That's so true. I think that they're. If we have to go to Telegram and Gab and stuff to see a lot of this stuff now, I mean, can you imagine? It's like they should have teams of people trowling the internet for that kind of stuff in order to get in touch with the pulse of the American public, but they're not doing that. And yeah, they just seem to be further isolating based on their behavior. I mean, why would they be acting like this if they actually were in touch with that? I mean, it seems in a weird way that Biden and his White House decisions in regards to the pandemic are like more in touch with it in the sense that he's just being like, fuck it. Like, like we, we are going to try these sort of half-assed federal implementations, but like not barely like put any weight behind them and then just be like, fuck it, just leave it to the courts. Uh, yeah, same, same as Trump, basically. I mean, like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. we've been talking about. So mm-hmm. it almost seems like that's more, you know, quote unquote, in touch with the American public. I mean, I don't know if that's the how you're saying it, but um, it's, yeah, I don't know if I have as much belief that DeSantis would win if he ran, but what you're saying about Trump definitely being sort of like old stuff now, I think it's very clearly true right now. I mean, there was a poll that showed that he's taken a 10% drop in like his favorability rating since he left office. So that's a pretty, and then it's just among Republicans. So yeah, his rallies are waning. Yeah, no, it, it is true. Yeah, I mean... I think. And he just seems... Yeah, it seems almost kind of, like, sad now. It's like he, he peaked. It's sad. <laughs> sad. And honestly, <laughs> I feel like it was partly his own making. Like, he could have gone on TV more. Like, remember how we were confused? It's like, if you're riling people up and doing the Stop the Steal thing like this hard, why aren't you talking more? Why are you hiding so much? Like, it was weird to see how much, like, Trump was, like, hiding out and like not using like the media, you know, megaphone that he could have been using. And he kind of like, I feel like that was of his own doing. He lost the, he lost that zeitgeisty like effect. It's not just because he got banned off Twitter. He could have been going on Fox News all the time, probably still. So it's sort of weird to think that part of that was his own withdrawing from that. And then now it's like, they're probably inviting him on less now. So it's sort of like, he's kind of screwed and- I just don't, you know, even if he runs again, I just do not think it's going to be nearly as effective as it was the first time around. Totally. And on the flip side, it's like when Trump was capitalizing um, on the media spotlight, you know, every night he would have those press conferences at the beginning when COVID first hit. And and every night he would be doing these giant press conferences. And I was just like, it's actually really like impressive that he was utilizing that energy and dominating it like it was like that's a pretty impressive propaganda move to like know that all eyes are on you everyone's like terrified of this pandemic we don't know the the breadth and scope of what it's going to be but like trump was the one who was like okay explain to us what's going on on the flip side look at biden i mean if i were if i were running the country i mean wouldn't you be like like knowing how deeply unsettling this is to have this pandemic going on two years now, to have so much of the population not believing in like 
a lot of what is being said. Wouldn't you like want to do press conferences where you're like, and, and Anthony Fauci is not the face of this, where it's like you're actually explaining like and you have people's issues brought up. Like, what is an mRNA vaccine? Like, let's talk about what this technology is like. We're going to go through all this. Like, we're going to really be open and transparent and like get like town halls where people have concerns or experiencing this and that. It just seems like there's nothing at all. I haven't even seen Biden at all this whole time. Kamala, whenever she does interviews, she's fucking horrible. She can't answer a basic question. It's just like, okay, just business as usual. Let's move on with our lives. It's like, no, this is a crazy thing. We need to have like conversations where we can all have input on what's going on and not feel like we're just totally in the dark and left to our own devices to figure all this shit out on our own. It seems like there was some kind of mounting pressure campaign where they felt like they had to do something. And the something they did, Abby, was like, oh, that you can now order tested from the USPS. <laughs> like that was that's literally like all they gave us. Such a bone throw. Four tests. Yeah. Four tests. Two years into this, we now get four tests per household. Any household with roommates or over four people in your family, basically screwed. You got to go buy one at Walmart or something like that. They're not that cheap. And most stores are out of them actually right now. So, I mean, again, it's just a total failure on the part of the United States. And it's funny now, actually, the Biden administration is almost now sort of being combative with reporters in the similar way to like the Trump administration was, they're sort of pivoting to being like, oh, what, you want us to give it? Like, did you see the Saki thing where she's like, oh, wait, we're yeah, supposed yeah, to give like, like test yeah, every American? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you should have done that like two fucking years ago, you idiot. Like what, why? Like that's a real gaffe to act frustrated about that in public. Meanwhile, in the UK, every single person can order seven rapid COVID tests every 24 hours for free. Great. Yeah. Good for them. It is great. Yeah. Um, but there are some other things to that that are, you know, worth going into. And it's just, you know, that that deserves a whole other discussion. But yeah, I mean, dude, Lynn Manuel Miranda, um, with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, that's it. This perfectly encapsulates everything that's wrong with the Democrats. Um, the fact that they will invite Hamilton to sing about January 6th instead of investigating why all of the top military intelligence command overseeing the Capitol Police and National Guard let this happen. Why one-fifth of the Capitol Police was actually mobilized that day. And, you know, people have told me, oh, the January 6th commission will uncover that. It's like, when? What do you mean? They've been talking about this for a year now. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen, dude. They let the Republicans uh, actually run with that talking point. I see them say that sometimes now on Fox News. So, I mean, the more conspiratorial part of me thinks, well, we already know what happened when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House when the torture stuff happened. Apparently, she, like, was in the loop on the torture and knew about it and, like, went along with it. And then that's part of why we didn't get, like, a full exposure of that. Like, that was sort of understood years ago. So part of me wonders, is it because this she has some authorization over the Capitol Police? I don't know, but I know technically she does. The Speaker of the House has some authority over the Capitol Police. That's traditionally been the case. So if this somehow goes into her backyard, yeah, it's not going to they're not going to let it go there. If it even like remotely can go there, because then the Republicans yeah. can grill her or grill, you know, people who other Pete Democrats 
they're just not going to let it happen. And we exactly. know that that's clearly fucking suspicious. Clearly. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought up the torture thing because this is precisely why none of these things like blatant war crimes, you know, like the illegal occupation and invasion of Iraq, none of those things were investigated by the Democrats when they were in power because they are culpable. They are equally as culpable. When you have Joe Biden out there advocating to invade Iraq and trying to control all of the fellow Democrats to to occupy a sovereign nation, um, it's a little hard to do an investigation into just one wing of the establishment when really this is bipartisan. And of course, I know that you did a deep dive with Whitney and um, you've talked about this quite extensively about the domestic terrorism unit and the push for domestic terrorism legislation in the wake of January 6th. And that's pretty much all we've seen come out of this is just, uh, you know, more money and funding into the very organizations that should be investigated. So, you know, this domestic terrorism unit that basically has been proposed to go after quote unquote white supremacists. Well, when you read the fine lines of, of the legislation and the proposal, it's basically talking about going after anarchists. So what do they call anarchists? Well, that's analogous to all leftists who want a radical transformation of society. Yeah. I mean, and they even go further than that. I mean, there's some other language in the, in whatever they were proposing that, that encompass other like, uh, left types of protesters too. And, you know, at first when I did that interview with Whitney, I was probably more convinced that this would be the main thing, domestic terrorists, are now these right-wing, like, MAGA QAnoners. Um, what I see happening instead, I guess now it seems like a lot of these people, like specifically the QAnon shaman, the guy with the Viking helmet, were just simply, like, made an example out of by giving them, like, very harsh sentences in jail to the point where it's, like, it's almost just pathetic and sad. Like... I watch uh, All Gas, No Breaks, uh, Channel 5, um, Andrew Callaghan. I don't know if you've seen that guy. He did an interview with the QAnon shaman in prison. And he's kind of like takes like a more sarcastic uh, sort of Louis Theroux approach to his interviews. But he was actually like very fair in interviewing him. He let the QAnon shaman talk for, you know, 10 minutes at a time. And halfway through the interview he finally just tells him he's like well what if QAnon was like a psyop designed to just like trick you the QAnon shaman like questions everything everything about authority everything about the police you know within a certain framework of course because he's like not pro BLM because he thinks it's like a Soros plot but the but it's just strange that when he gets to that question it's like his answer is just so long-winded and like like roundabout to explain like how he had been blatantly fooled by this QAnon movement, um, how he'd basically been, you know, abandoned by his president and the president's supporters and just made turn into like a sacrificial lamb. And it's just kind of sad and pathetic to think that someone who seems so articulate could to this day be sitting in prison and not have like any animosity or like a 180 and be like, you know what, I was fucking misled. I'm extremely ashamed that I got like led into this by like basically what was a scam on behalf of not just QAnon, but also the president. And like, I might even like, I honestly think these people should sue Trump. Like as, as childish as that would be, I honestly do think they could get some traction in civil court. If a bunch of these people got together and their families got together, I mean, 
like he's the one who fucking incited it. Even though incitement as a crime is very hard to get someone on, civil lawsuit, man, you're in fucking jail because of this because you got misled by this shit. Yeah, and remember all those people who were posting on Reddit and stuff being like saying goodbye to their family because they were like, we're about to storm the Capitol, like we're going to die, essentially. It's just so funny looking back in hindsight at, as you were talking about the 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 infiltration of these message boards and the oversight and the spying and surveillance that we know was going on and like playing dumb at the fact that like this was being planned, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, Oh, but it took a, a fed on the ground to really make all this happen. It's like, no, I, to your point, I feel bad for the guy. I do because he is taken by a cult. And it reminds me of the Keith Raniere, the Nixium stuff that even after Keith Raniere is arrested and charged with these serious charges of trafficking and all the rest, you can tell people are still captured. It's so strong, the bond of of being inside the cult, being embedded to such an extreme degree where you've, you really have manifested an alternate reality, and it's very hard to go back. And you have to keep morphing your belief system to adhere to whatever the new circumstances are of the cult. So Keith Raniere being in jail, he's unfairly persecuted, you know, QAnon kind of falling by the wayside. There's something else that you need to you need to grab onto. And of course, you're not going to blame Trump. You know, of course, you're not. Yeah. I mean, just wanted to mention really quickly, there's a really weird um, someone dug up something how like Jack Posobiec and other people from OAN Network were like running interference for like the Nexium cult like at one point and then they stopped like almost as if they were hired by like Keith Raniere's organization to like run interference for them. And then they like stop getting money. Wait, what do you mean run interference? Like defending them, like defending what? them. Yeah. And what's really weird is that remember when Nico house went and like took the pictures with Jack Posobiec and went on yeah, OAN yeah, and yeah. all that stuff. They also took pictures of themselves like at a bar hanging out. Like, I don't know if the same weekend with like a Nexium cult member. And, like, just taking weird. pictures with her. Very weird shit, dude. I don't fucking... I mean, all these people are probably just, like, hired guns on some level to just run shit for other people. I don't well, fucking yeah, know. Well, yeah, dude, Jack Posobiec is now pushing the slop, the survival slop buckets. Oh, yeah, the uh, delicious-looking uh, <laughs> uh, food bucket. Um, I mean, what's funny, too, is, like, Tim Pool and all those people push that stuff now. Glenn yeah. Greenwald even pushes it because on Rumble, all the ads are that. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, you can't even dude. upload a video, Abby, on Rumble. This is how funny it is to make it seem like it's some kind of anti-YouTube, like the, you know, the anti-censorship version of YouTube. Yeah. You have to pay a subscription to Rumble to upload a video without running like extremely hardcore, like sketchy right-wing ads all over your video. See, that that's the big difference. I have never run ads on YouTube yeah. and I would hate to have to run like weird survival bucket slop shit on YouTube. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, you just have to be okay with it unless you want to pay Rumble. Ooh, oh, but I guess that's tough. The nice thing is a lot of these people basically got like hired by Rumble. It'd be like if YouTube overtly just like hired right. a bunch of like political right. talking heads. I mean, honestly. Like, YouTube is a total fucking shit show, but, I mean, Rumble just seems like a real fucking scam. It's just sad that, like, like the website BitChute is, like, a legitimate YouTube alternative. Yeah. It's filled with crazy conspiracy stuff. It has all the QAnon and Sandy Hook videos on it still, yep. but it's uncensored. It's truly uncensored and democratic. That's what an actual YouTube alternative is. It's not... Yep. 
you know, Gitter being the social media alternative to Twitter. It's like, no, dude, all these things are fucking scams. Your people are fucking dumb. You're getting scammed. Like, it's just, I, I guess this is what I go back to. It's like the QAnon shaman guy, at a certain point, if you're so woke to all these people telling you what to do and you don't listen to authority, why are you okay with being scammed and led around by the fucking nose all the time? Don't you want to be a critical thinker like you pretend to be? Like, that's the step you're missing, to actually be one. Versus being completely content, being led around by some controlled opposition fucking clickbait. It's just, it's, it's just sad. Anyways. <laughs> so, Robbie, last time we recorded Media Roots, we discussed the idea of doing an entire episode about COVID. About trying to wade through these dueling realities and providing more nuance than I think that we're used to getting with this entire construct of, uh, you know, the narrative surrounding COVID from both alternative media and corporate media, um, and a lot of which matches the political establishment. So, you know, for the last couple of days, I've just kind of been navigating through the cesspool of the internet into a lot of different arguments, uh, learned a lot of interesting things, and also just, you know, speaking from my personal experience, having lived through the pandemic for the last two years and a lot of anecdotal evidence that I have to, to, you know, support my thesis at least. So I'm excited to just kind of go through this with you. We might differ on some things. That's okay. You touched upon this briefly in a previous episode where you discussed the idea of giving each other space, building and providing space for each other amid this increasingly polarized divide, right? And so I think that that's an important thing for us to do today with each other and just kind of talk about COVID, the lockdowns, the vaccines, where this is all going. So before we get into this, Robbie, I wanted to just talk about my personal experience. I have been sick with COVID for over a week now, as well as my entire household. So my 19-month-old baby boy, uh, Mike had COVID. And when my son got sick and Mike was sick, I, you know, I had a bad feeling and we, they tested positive. We still had at home rapid tests from when we were in Scotland. And it took me about a day, a, de a delay of a day to test positive. At first all was fine. You know, Mike and I are vaccinated um, and, and all was fine. You know, Mike just kind of flew through this, barely had any sinus things, congestion, nothing. It was just like a very minor cold that he was over in about a day. And I was kind of matching the same symptoms as him until about four days ago when throughout the day, I just, I started sporadically having like severe cramping in my legs and back. And it wasn't debilitating though until it was nighttime like as soon as six o'clock hit and the and the sun went down it became excruciating uh both of my entire legs my hips my lower back it was just a dull throbbing pain non-stop it was one of the most intense pains i've ever felt in my life and this is speaking from someone who just gave birth 19 months ago it was fucking intense dude to the point where at three in the morning um, I wanted to call 911 and Mike had to talk me down and just be like, just take a bath again and lay in the bathtub. And it, that was basically two nights of my life was just like laying in the bathtub all night 
on tramadol, which is like a pretty strong painkiller. And if I didn't have that, I would have been in the ER begging for some sort of steroid injection or morphine drip because it was really fucking crazy. And it slowly passed, you know, out of a moment of desperation in the midst of this pain and suffering, I actually tweeted out (laughs) uh, that this was happening to me. And I prefaced my tweet by saying, I'm vaccinated and this is what I'm going through. Like, has anyone else experienced this? You know, Googling this stuff, you get a million different answers. I was not getting the information that I felt comfortable receiving in terms of how widespread is this symptom? Um, Is this a common symptom of COVID? You know, how severe are people experiencing this? I wanted to get information and I wasn't getting it from just Googling. Um, I immediately realized it was a mistake because of course, when you're putting out health information, this whole pandemic has been so polarized and politicized that literally that was my political statement was I'm vaccinated, you know? So it just so, it was so disheartening to see the responses to this, Robbie, because instead of empathy, you know, I understand that empathy is a, is a chip that's missing from a lot of people. And especially when you're putting shit out on Twitter, you just are inviting crazy people to just lambaste you about everything under the sun. But what I was most surprised about were people saying this is a vaccine injury, that my symptoms were actually because of the vaccine I got months ago instead of being diagnosed with COVID days prior to getting these horrible pains. And that was really just revealing because it's like I think that we're at the point where people are so rigid and dogmatic in their ideology that they have just made up their mind you know, anything that may impede their worldview, like they just reject it, invite anything that reaffirms their confirmation bias, and then they'll reject anything that may not fit inside this line of thinking that they've already bet their life on. That's true. And when you're talking about stuff that we are kind of all out of our depth of knowledge about, like I'm the first to say that I don't understand like mRNA technology. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not like a healthcare professional. I'm not around sick and dying COVID patients. I don't understand gene therapy and vaccinations. I I really don't. And so at a certain point, I have to defer to like a consensus. Otherwise, what are you like? Because even if you don't want to do that, and you, you know, and that's fine. You want to read like alternative theories and, and, and other doctors and scientists and like a very minor portion of epidemiologists who are dissenting against this global consensus. Like that's fine. But I, I would actually say that those people don't understand the science either and they don't understand the technology. And so at a certain point, you literally are appealing to authority. It's just what authority do you want to appeal to? My big worry with this uh, like two years ago was I could already tell that this was going to be used to obliterate any form of what people perceive as a scientific consensus. Now, what I mean by that is that uh, the idea of like being able to trust a certain consensus or a global consensus, I feel like is no longer, it, unfortunately, it's no longer going to be the case moving forward uh, after this. There's this, we are in a new era of people. Basically, it's almost like the climate change debate, where they would able be able to have you know roundtables of scientists who would deny climate change and say it was all a hoax and stuff. It's like that, but like taken to a whole new level now. And you know, I was worried about that from the very beginning. It's obviously the trajectory it's going in now. 
it almost doesn't matter if you have like an overwhelming certain con- like body of consensus knowledge saying something at this point, people will just choose to go into whatever confirmation bias belief that they have. Maybe other people won't agree with me on this issue because this is just my own personal experience. Not only am I, I'm worried about how fast and rapid it seems that people worldwide are losing faith in this idea of a scientific consensus. But what is, you know, what does this idea really fundamentally mean? Did it really mean something before this? It has me questioning my own perspective on this, you know, before the pandemic and after. It's like, did I have too much faith in this idea of a scientific consensus, in this idea of a body of science that agreed on a particular concept before this? I don't know. But I know now that I am feeling on a personal level, and I've spoken to other people who have a similar experience where they, you know, didn't really question this idea of a scientific consensus before COVID, but now they feel like their faith has been shattered in various, I guess, institutions that they wouldn't really think to question that hard before. I mean, and this is my, you know, like I didn't have any faith in the CDC before this, but now like I, it's to me, it's really clear that they don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's actually gotten so bad that even CNN and mainstream media, like the lib media, you know, who everybody sort of characterized before as being just a CDC Fauci mouthpiece is now actually backtracking and talking shit about the CDC as well. Like CNN was running mainstream primetime segments a few days ago uh, saying that the CDC is untrustworthy now, at least right now, because of how many mixed messages have been sending out. You know, I remember CNN and some of these places like going after them originally for the mask confusion because Fauci did just straight up say that masks will not work, like don't wear masks at the very, very beginning. That was like one of the first lies that was seemingly told to us to like, so people wouldn't make a run on masks, I guess was our understanding of like that, that white lie was like a noble lie or whatever. I mean, but ever since then, I think that it's just been getting worse and worse to the point where now even like CNN is now again being like, yeah, we, this is fucked up. So the CDC obviously is hard to trust right now, but I think in general, what's more worrisome to me is that I have less faith in what is this idea of a scientific consensus? What sources can we trust? How do we, as people without understanding epidemiology or biology or, you know, chemistry or pharmacology, look through these studies and really know if we're intelligently interpreting them correctly? Because all I, you know, it's like you see people cherry picking stats from studies to show, to make either argument all the time. But it's like, we just have to defer to their authority. I don't, I'm, I don't know enough about this stuff to understand the full impact of the study. And I don't think 99% of the public does either, probably a higher percentage than that. It's kind of, you realize like how little power you actually have to intelligently know this stuff in a situation like this. And I guess that's what sort of on an existential level, it, it, it really, it feels very destabilizing, very, it's like taking away some of the ground, you know, that I previously felt like I was on as a, as just a human being. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you experience anything like that, but. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, in terms of preconceived notions or conventional wisdom that may have been largely accepted and roundly espoused by what we call scientific consensus has evolved and adapted. And sometimes it's been wrong. Um, 
But like I said before, I feel like as someone who is not an epidemiologist or a virologist or a doctor or a medical expert, at a certain point you do, I, I, at least I feel like I have to defer to those people to understand facets of the pandemic and the vaccine and stuff. And it, it, it is difficult to parse through because it's a lot of, like you said, a lot of these studies are hard to decipher and it's not as easy as like reading like a policy prescription from Brookings or the Atlantic Council. It's like very loaded and you have to really understand the me- the medical science that's going into this to really grasp what these studies are saying. And so at a certain point, it's like you are taking people's word for it who are interpreting the study and the, the studies and the data who are experts in the field. Um, the science is constantly changing and the analyses are constantly changing because the from variant to variant, like everything can just go out the window. So it's it's like it's constantly changing and it's so hard to keep up with. And I think that's where we get to like the self-righteousness and the kind of absolutism. It's so rapidly changing and with a virus like this that um, that is so strong and adaptable, like it's it's hard to even make conclusive statements. But when you're looking at like the scientific body of, of the world consensus, I mean, I think of this in the similar way to, that I do climate change, where of course there are dissenters. Of course, there are scientists, there are epidemiologists, there are biologists who are dissenting against this mainstream narrative. And they are those outliers. And a lot of them maybe are fringe. Um, And a lot of people just point to people like Robert Malone and other people. And they're like, look, well, what about this guy? Because we're in such a dysfunctional fucking society and media landscape, it's like we think that there's an equal argument on both sides. And, And for me, I don't think that that's true. I totally get what you're saying too. I mean, the last thing you said, I think is especially important that there's this illusion that, you know, all the people who don't want free healthcare in this country, like organically believe that rather than it's being like pumped into their brains by like billionaire funded, you know, right wing messaging. I mean, so like to see on the media landscape that there's like 50% it's, you know, seemingly on, uh, you know, in the, in the media landscape here in the U S that like 50% of the people act like they don't want free healthcare. And that's like a socialist communist takeover. I think I'm more talking about sort of this shattering effect where like, I don't even know what, like the, the idea of sides or like which side of this you're on, even though we've been talking about it at various points of this podcast as if there's two sides of this or two sides of this debate, it feels like even that has shattered into so many different little fracture points just inside the COVID debate. I don't even really know overall the point I'm making, but I think it's going to be problematic moving forward because, you know, just like there's people who benefit, big corporations or billionaires who benefit from like putting counter science out there for something that's going to like cut into their profits. I mean, what's what's this going to open the door for at large for like all types of things now? Because I think people are going to use this model of like doubting every kind of like, you know, scientific consensus about COVID in order to make a certain argument. If that's this effective in this climate, I think that they're really someone is there are going to be people who are going to really exploit that moving forward. And I'm especially worried about the elites and billionaires who will to just paint any reality they want so that they can get away with whatever they want. 
And look at what they've done with climate change exactly. for the last 50 I mean, years. We're still debating whether or not it's happening because of how strong the disinformation has been fueled by these oil corporations, right-wing billionaires who've injected so much disinfo that people literally have hardline beliefs that it is a globalist plot, that it isn't happening, no matter how much evidence exists to the contrary. And one of the main facets that the world consensus has agreed on is that vaccinations help stave off the worst effects of COVID and also reduces transmission. I know that this is varied now as the virus mutates, but that's also pretty conclusive based on tons of peer-reviewed data. I do look at the COVID science as the same as climate change science, where if you have 99% of scientists and virologists and epidemiologists agreeing that this is how many people are dying from COVID. This is, it's a very serious thing, you know, endorsing the notion of, uh, you know, certain policy measures that can mitigate this. And then you have maybe a couple people who are also in the field, but have dissenting opinions and then they are weighted equally. And it's like literally just blasted out 24 seven from places like the Epic Times Fox News, and it just makes it seem, it creates this false paradigm where people actually think that there's an equal amount of scientists and people on both sides agreeing yeah. with that narrative. And I just don't think that that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, I again, I agree with that concept you're putting forth. I think my, the only other counterpoint I'll offer to that is this, how, what happened to the field of virology with this concept of lab leak, man-made origin for COVID-19. And what's really weird is it does seem to be kind of a building consensus now of this idea of lab leak. I think that's personally still probably bullshit that this like leaked from the Wuhan lab. But this is like, it's weird that they're like, like a bunch of like virologists and biologists now are now acting like that's a really valid theory, whereas before they were, were acting like it wasn't and they were convinced it was zoonotic. Um, even just that, watching that happen for me has been really sort of destabilizing because it's like well wait a second so like even you guys who are like being the ones who are like trying to quell the skeptics at first you know who are putting out all the conspiracy theories about man-made or lab leak now they're like flipping on it so and then on top of that abby you also have you know stats certain kinds of stats having to be corrected like, for example, AP just released a wire saying we're no longer going to release like single day stats for states or countries on like how many COVID hospitalizations they are because some of the data is unreliable. They've sort of recently gotten to the point where there is now a clear distinction between. Remember how we were talking about the Elon Musk like shark bite thing and how that became an all encompassing narrative for a while? Mm -hmm. The hospitalizations with COVID as opposed to hospitalized exactly. because of COVID. So now that's opened the door for people to be like, we were fucking right all along. We told you the hospitals were like lying about how many people they have with COVID. And now this is like the proof that we have that we like wanted all along. It's, it's not the slam dunk they're thinking it is, but it's also need. It also needs to be understood by people who are on the other side who are like pro vaccine or not vaccine skeptical that these numbers aren't like as clear cut or easy to digest as maybe you thought they were before that like there. Yeah. Like this, it, it is a big difference to say that a hospital is overloaded because it's all people like needing to be hospitalized for COVID versus people who have COVID who are already in the hospital. 
Like that's a huge difference. Right. And even even Fauci came out and said that. And he, and the data needs to be much more clear. And apparently some states are already doing that. They're already releasing different data sets to differentiate between the two. It's startling that they haven't done that yet. The numbers are bad enough. The fact that they test everyone for COVID before they admit them to the hospital yeah, I mean, that is going to be a problem because a lot of people are asymptomatic. That needs to be articulated. And that should have been articulated from the beginning. Because as soon as you have some sort of admission to error or someone like Fauci coming out a year later or two years later being like, oh, by the way, like these statistics aren't aren't actually completely accurate because there's a lot of people, not a lot. I mean, I would say the vast minority of people are just happen to have COVID. You know, they go in there for a broken arm and then they test positive for COVID. But it doesn't even matter because to your point, that's all people need to justify that they were right and that it is overblown and that they've been lied to. And and then it just keeps going on and on and on. But before we continue, Robbie, I just wanted to, to conclude by saying like, I'm okay now. I've, I've recovered, hopefully. I still have COVID and I woke up with kind of pains in my neck. Because I put this out there, I got so many responses of people who had similar symptoms that said that they only lasted one day or two days because they were also vaccinated. I had tons of people saying um, that they were unvaccinated and had similar symptoms, some that lasted as short of the time as, as I experienced, some that lasted longer. I had tons of people from all walks of life, vaccinated and not, giving me their opinions, and I really felt like that was really useful, um, but you know, I do think that my opinion on the vaccination has not changed, except I will concede that the vaccine was oversold at the beginning, that when we first got vaccinated, I literally thought that I was going to be immune from getting COVID. I never imagined that it would morph into, no, you're only immune, not even immune. I mean, you're just less likely to get it for a couple months and then you have to get this booster. And and then I realized, oh, like this is never ending. And oh, like what does this actually mean? And so when you had all of this unclear, uncertain rhetoric coming out, and I think when a lot of people leapt to get the vaccine thinking, oh, this is going to be over. Like we all get vaccinated and then we're just immune from COVID and then we just move on with our lives and that certainly didn't help either, that things have changed so much, right? And the argument has changed so much that now um, the vaccines certainly don't prevent you from getting COVID. They certainly don't prevent you from getting sick. I can attest to that very personally. But they do certainly reduce the risk of deadly sickness, hospitalization, and death. That That's an incontrovertible fact. And I think that... Um, you know, all of the rest of this is debatable. I don't know what it would have been if I wasn't vaccinated. I'm just saying like it, it was crazy to actually get as sick as I did having been vaccinated and being this healthy. Yeah. And I talked to a doctor about, because I really did think that I had a blood clot at first and I was scared, more scared, putting out this armchair analysis on Twitter and having all these people be like, you have a blood clot, <laughs> go to the emergency room. And I literally thought like I was going to be another COVID It doesn't even make sense. That I was going to like- just- you literally got COVID. I know, COVID. I know, I know. It's just, I, even if I you're know. the most vaccine skeptical person in the world, like, it's just, it to me, it just really shows that people have been herded into these lanes of very reactive thought on, on both sides. Because I will just say, like, I have spoken to people recently um, who are very left-minded, like, on a lot of issues. They are very smart and savvy on a lot of things. But they 
they, I mean, I have had people tell me that they do not think it's the right time to criticize uh, pharmaceutical companies. And I find that belief very shocking. Um, and I, I think that it's actually the perfect time, even though you may find the right wing or certain type of criticism against it distasteful to you. No, this is, this is the time where we should be asking, like, how do we know how, you know, and I'm just talking about the pharmaceutical companies here in the United States, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna. I mean, pharmaceutical companies have a historically an enormous amount of influence over our public debate. They're allowed to advertise on TV here, one of the only countries in the world that allows it. So we know this is the truth. And also, America historically has been a pioneer of the pharmaceutical industry. Some of the most, uh, the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world were started in the United States, like in the 1800s um, that still exist today. Uh, that have been bought. Actually, one of them was absorbed uh, by Pfizer, uh, in fact, um, that was one of the big drug, biggest drug companies in the world for a very long time. So I just think that that's strange when I hear people on the left thinking that we shouldn't, you know, go there, you know, when we, we should. Um, and then on the other side, people thinking that now there's even a belief that the vaccinated are the ones getting the sickest from COVID and, and the unvaccinated are somehow not even getting COVID at all. Like that's now how far the people on the other side have gone. And I've, you know, some of those people who are espousing that now a year ago were very rational about being skeptical about some of this stuff, but have now gotten themselves in a place where they're like, man, every friend I have who's vaccinated is sick with COVID. And every friend I have who's unvaccinated didn't get sick. Wow. Like what, like, it doesn't it's make like, any sense. So what, what it doesn't are you make any sense that the vaccine is the one actually causing COVID now. It's, yes, it's just that the goalposts keep moving to such a crazy degree. Yeah, no, Robbie, I totally agree. I mean, the fact that people are actually saying we shouldn't criticize pharmaceutical industry—that's um, a little bit strange. And I feel like whoever said that's brain is truly liquefied. Because this exactly is the time that we need to be criticizing pharmaceutical industries. And even if you agree with the mainstream narrative on COVID, for fuck's sake, if you are critical of capitalism, the pharmaceutical companies are horrible, right? Hoarding the patents, not releasing data, the extreme influence over politics and the media. Like, fuck that, dude. Jim Smith, who's on the board of Reuters, he's the former president and CDO of Reuters, he's also on Pfizer's board. Yeah, so it's like there's so many connections between the media and Pfizer uh, to what you're saying. It's like really, really insane to actually get to the place where you're like, we just need to sit back and let the government do whatever they want because now's not the time to criticize them. It sounds like a post 9-11 like level indoctrination. Okay, so just a little backstory on Pfizer. It was started by two German immigrants in the late 1800s. Pfizer has been involved in, I guess you could argue, some of the biggest like pharmaceutical quote unquote breakthroughs of the last century, previous century. And those include things like, well, Viagra, obviously, you know, it's the one that everybody talks about and seems to associate Pfizer with now. They also were the first company, I believe, to develop the whole class of drugs, SSRI drugs, which is pretty much the way that people still do antidepressants today. Um, Zoloft, I think, and I'm not 100% sure about this, was the first SSRI drug marketed in 1991. It was incredibly successful. 
a lot of people swear by SSRIs, but there's also, you know, been over the years, a lot of conspiracy theories about them. And I don't really particularly get on board with those. So it's sort of like one of those things where, you know, there have been a lot of scientific breakthroughs in medicine that a company that's, you know, probably craven and as opportunistic and as corporatistic and as capitalistic as any other company have actually helped bring forth to the public. Like that, you know, I'm not even talking about things like antidepressants and Viagra, um, things that have uh, been instrumental in eradicating certain type of fungal infections like fluconazole. They also uh, were really instrumental in getting some antibiotics out there. So, I mean, but going back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of these pharmaceutical companies that we hear about today, like Bayer, uh, what's the other big one that's not Pfizer and uh, Eli Lilly? I'm missing another big one. Not Johnson & Johnson. Well, it's funny that Johnson... Um, there's another big... Yeah. It's another one that's, I think, Swiss, maybe? Fuck, I can't remember. It's like two mainstream pharmaceutical companies are like in like the top 10 that are European. Uh, Pfizer, Moderna, um, Johnson & Johnson. Uh, these other companies are American-based. They were started in the United States. And America actually did have sort of a leg up in like pharmaceutical innovation and pharmaceutical, the concept of, you know, a major pharmaceutical company. Some of these other companies like Bayer, they're responsible for getting things to the market like, I think, Tylenol. So like acetaminophen and these kind of things, a lot of these other companies got, you know, brought over the counter drugs to the market. Uh, but Pfizer seems to be mostly famous for getting prescription only drugs. Uh, to the market, as far as I can tell, um, by reading some of through some of their history, it's crazy to me that Johnson and Johnson even exists as a company after the baby powder scandal. You know, like lying about yeah. The I don't really know very much about Car that. Remind people what that yeah, was. Yeah, it was basically carcinogenic, the powder, um, the baby powder, and it was on the market for decades, and an untold amount of people suffered horrifically. Uh, cancers, death. I mean, who knows what happened and how many potentially millions of people were affected by this because it, it was on the market for so long, even though they knew that it was carcinogenic. And until there was a class action um, that forced the payout, um, they were just getting away with it. I mean, it's just shocking because it's like what you put on babies, infants, infants. They're also a company that has uh, really leaned into the greenwashing thing and they've apparently implemented more than 4,000 greenhouse gas reduction projects so that they get all these like accolades and subsidies. Johnson you know, and Johnson or companies. Pfizer? No, Pfizer. Ah, sorry. Okay. I was going back to yeah. Pfizer. Um, and uh, basically, um, I mean, they're hugely influential um, over the U.S. government and apparently – uh, and this and this is just from Wikipedia, so there's probably more information out there other places. But this is on record. In the first half of 2009, uh, Pfizer spent over $16.3 million uh, lobbying members of Congress. Um, and at that time, they were the sixth largest lobbying interest in the United States. And this is what the Pfizer spokeswoman said in response to this news story that revealed this, that the company, quote, wanted to make sure our voice is heard in the conversation. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's whatever. There was some WikiLeaks stuff that came out about how Pfizer was strong-arming um, New Zealand. You know, they've they've actually bullied a lot of, like, smaller countries. So it's one of those corporations that, like, has enough power and influence worldwide to, like, actually, like, change legal policy in countries like New Zealand and other places to get their way. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a company that, that has any reason to be defended at all. I mean, they've, they're just as sketchy as any other company and they have a history, a very long history of misleading marketing, um, doing, trying to uh, market things for off-label use, how they weren't designated, things like that. And, there's probably other things that they've done as well. I mean, there's also something about a leaky heart valve uh, side effect uh, from a company that they acquired, a drug that they released. They've gotten involved in a lot of settlements from other companies they've acquired. So they're also like eaten up a lot of other pharmaceutical companies that have made drugs that have caused dangerous side effects that they've that Pfizer ultimately had to pay settlements for. So that's sort of, you know, that's how big of a company they are. A lot of these lawsuits they've paid out are just from companies they've acquired uh, that they that have done bad things. I wanted to just say one more thing about me putting this out there on Twitter and the responses that I got. I was appalled at how many people actually said this is because of the vaccine. How could this be because of the vaccine? I got the vaccine six months ago. I am not the type of person who would actually say it wasn't because of the vaccine. If I got the vaccine days ago and I got horrific symptoms or got any sort of adverse side effect, I would immediately be open to the fact that it was because of the vaccine. I would be open to talking about it. I would report it to the vaccine database and I would tell my doctor and try to get the knowledge out there about how I felt like I was adversely affected by the vaccine and that there was a vaccine side effect. So that's why I was just so shocked at how many people were like, this is because of the vaccine. Take aspirin. You have a blood clot because you have a vaccine side effect. Go to the hospital now. Go to the vaccine side effect hotline and, and report this. You're dying. You fucking idiot. You dupe. You got vaccinated. Can you believe it? What a dumbass. I can't believe Abby Martin did this. Oh, what a big pharma. Du like, like it was just so insane. So that was insane. But then I was just so alarmed, Robbie, at people that I actually once respected, like Colleen Rowley, Colleen Rowley, FBI whistleblower. Oh, wow. You didn't know that natural immunity is 27 times higher than the vaccine? You fell for it. That was Colleen Rowley who said that to me. I don't know why I was just incensed after reading that. I was livid. I woke up finally feeling better and I just saw Colleen Rally weighing in that I was a fucking idiot for getting vaccinated. It's like, wow, dude. Wow. What a disappointment. I would say that, and this is going to be a weird comment to make, but like I would expect some of those people to say something you know, surprisingly insensitive, maybe like on Facebook, like if it was like more of like a, like, like a couple of years ago or something. But, like, to say it on Twitter in a public uh, forum like that and to, like, when you're putting out a message like that, it seems not just insensitive but, like, really weirdly dogmatic because I thought that the right – I mean, my thought on this is that the right approach was, hey, we were feeling so much social pressure and intense polarization, politicization. Mm -hmm. Like, let's put a pause on this and be able to, like, talk to each other and not right. shame each other and like get mad at each other 
like I don't have any judgment against anybody who has decided to not get the vaccine. Like I completely empathize with it. So it's actually weird for me to now be experiencing it coming from the other direction. Like I have experienced it personally too, not as bad as what you're describing, mm-hmm. but where suddenly things get personal feeling where it's like, wait a second. I thought, I thought you respected the fact that I'm vaccinated. You're not, we sort of had this mutual respect for each other's choices, but I'm actually the one feeling like judged now for making this choice by you like think, saying that I'm brainwashed and, or like believing that I am. And I find that troubling because it's like that to me is just a very bad direction that's going in. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of things that I could sit there and get on my high horse and be like, yeah, you're brainwashed for believing that. But for someone to sort of take it into like the more personal realm, like for Colleen Rally to call you out like that, like she knows the body of your work. We respect her work. We, you know, I thought there was some mutual respect there. So it's just really jarring to be like, wait a second, like, you, you're just like waiting to pounce to find people who got vaccinated, yep. who, you know, share your politics on some degree. But then when you see they get vaccinated, you're like, fuck you, you fucking brainwashed lunatic. You fucking fell for it. It's like, whoa, hold on a second. I thought that you were the one thinking that like Jake Tapper and all these people on, you know, CNN shaming anti-vaxxers was really dangerous and psychologically right. harmful. And now you're just doing it to people who got vaxxed. And it's like, dude, what is happening here? We need to fucking zoom out and realize that this social pressure and this pissing contest of who's the most woke and anti-establishment is just getting really egoistic and narcissistic and self-indulgent and reactive and not genuinely critically thinking and like trying to bridge the gap between, you know, these small, potentially very small political differences, really. Like I'm, I was on the fence about getting vaccinated at first. I, I was. So I can understand the idea of mm-hmm. like it's just it's just so weird to me how other people aren't like, yeah, I can empathize with why you decided to get it because your family members were more scared than you and you didn't want to, you know, not see your family members. Well, it's that's like, the thing, Robbie, is that they don't know. That no one knows everyone's personal no one knows where you're coming from. This is what is But so isn't it like the most common me. I mean, isn't what I just said like a very I've heard that from all my friends who are even a little bit skeptical oh, on the yeah. vaccine. They're like, Yeah, I end up getting yeah. it because of my grand yeah. you know, grandparents or my yeah. my mom's sister or something like that. You know, it's like Right. There was an enormous social pressure before anything was talked about with the government that I felt immediately beyond just our family circle. I know plenty of people who I have immense respect for that have chosen not to be vaccinated. And I completely respect their decision because guess what? I've taken the time to understand where they're coming from. They have made a personal decision based on their life experience, right? And their politics. And it's like, maybe I disagree with the politics. And I do think that there needs to be a mass education push of public health measures. We're living in a society that is based on rugged individualism. We have no concept of community health. We have no concept of public health. We are totally devoid and removed from any sort of community apparatus because we've just been left to fend for ourselves from the moment we're born. In fact, we wear that as a badge of honor. We don't want health care from the government. We don't want public services from the government. That's all handouts, right? So it's like, yeah, I think a lot of people have been kind of brainwashed just from American exceptionalism and like the indoctrination of, of, of 
uber capitalistic society to, to maybe bend that way. But like the people that I know personally, I do respect their decisions and I understand where they're coming from. And that was the most disturbing thing to me about it. It's like, you don't know why I got vaccinated. Yeah. The only time I would make a judgment is if somebody was like gleefully, you know, like someone on the pro vaccine side was like reporting people who weren't vaxxed or like trying to like dox or, you know, like get people in trouble something like that, or, or, or saying you wish people would die, you know, who are facts like those kind of people. I'm feel safe judging being like, you're a real asshole who's gotten yourself oh, in yeah. a no, crazy reveling, state. Reveling in the suffering yeah. of others. Yeah. No people. No, it's the same on the, it's hideous when either side does it. It's hideous, but guess what? It makes me sick when both sides do it. So don't be one of these people, please. It should be all across the board. If you don't like being mocked and if you're unvaccinated, you don't like being mocked by Jake Tapper. And when when people, you know, die who are unvaccinated, being like, well, you should have been vaccinated, then please take a step back and think, hey, maybe we shouldn't do that to anyone. It's the same assholes who love when there's a flood in Texas and they're like, well, you should have lived in a blue state. Like how fucking sociopathic are you that you don't have basic human empathy? A couple world records that truly make America exceptional is the fact that, you know, we have nearly 1 million deaths here in the U.S., uh, around 832,000 so far. And there was just that world-breaking record of 1 million positive COVID cases in one day, a couple days ago. So again, New York has 10 times as many COVID cases right now as China had during the entire pandemic. So I guess where I'm going with this is, can we both agree that there have been as many COVID deaths as the political establishment and mainstream scientists are saying, because I've heard countless people write off the entire pandemic and just say it's totally overblown. All of these people are, you know, really just died from other causes. And just because they had COVID, the statistics are saying that they are another COVID casualty. I feel like it's pretty irresponsible for like a medical examiner or someone to put on your death certificate that you died from COVID if you died from like a completely unrelated illness. Also, how coincidental is it that you die from a completely other illness and also happen to have COVID? I I feel like even if you were generously giving people that, you know, like credence to that argument, it can't be that many people. Um, so I guess that's where I'm starting off. Like my jumping off point is like, are we on the same page that nearly 1 million people have died from COVID in the U S because there's plenty of people who disagree with even that premise. Yeah. I mean, I have no reason not to believe it. I'm sure there is some bureaucratic or technical reason of why they sometimes put, you know, maybe even insurance related. I don't know. I mean, our healthcare system does do a lot of corrupt things that are based on insurance company profits. And so I don't really understand what the motivation would be. I guess the argument originally, and I remember seeing like some doctor whistleblower people, like you, you, you probably remember all these videos going back to the beginning of COVID when it was seemed like it was like, okay, here's like the alt media, like pushback or these like are supposedly whistleblower healthcare professionals who are telling us like it is. And I remember seeing that video with the two doctors, those male doctors in their scrubs saying that they're like forced to write down a regular death as COVID because it's like some kind of insurance scam thing. And I mean, I'm sure that that has happened, like something like that has happened, but 
to say that it's like the system-wide thing and that the entire death count has been inflated by this, like, for some reason, this rule where you're supposed to count a non-COVID death as COVID seems <laughs> cartoonishly impossible to be true. Um, but because it is a new virus and because, Abby, I think it's simply because the death rate was overinflated when this virus first hit, we were led to believe it was a lot more dangerous than it became. Like how, you know, the mortality rate and such. So I think that because like the consensus was wrong at first and over blew that, it just created enough of an opening where, where it's like anything that's because it's not as dangerous, even though it's still dangerous, it's just like now we there's just so much room to play around and sort of manipulate the data or just like present the data in any way that you want to. I mean, even when you see people passing around science papers having to do with COVID making whatever particular argument they're making, there's always a little bit of an oversimplification or confirmation bias from how they're presenting it. You know, some of these studies will actually be a little bit more complicated than how people are trying to make it seem. Um, like, like things like, uh, well, that's a whole other topic, like long COVID. I mean, yeah, we're, we're going to get into that later, but no, I, I agree with you. And I, I've noticed the more that I, look into a lot of the right-wing media media ecosphere. It's like a lot of anecdotal evidence of, like you said, these two emergency room doctors who really set the tone for that narrative to, to blast off, which is still, you know, very prevalent today, which is that all the COVID deaths are really not COVID deaths. It's just that it was a scam. And it's like, okay, if this is true, how come we haven't, how come this isn't like, like you said, like a system-wide like revelation like you're just saying that every doctor's just going along with this giant nationwide scam to to pocket insurance money or something. It's just totally absurd. Um, and yeah, but then also, you know, just the fact that the mortality number or the mortality estimation was, you know, way higher at the beginning because that was that was basically without any government measures at all to tamp it down. I mean it probably would have been far higher if there was just zero lockdown, you know, or no vaccinations at all. I mean, I'm sure it would be probably a lot higher than what we've seen, but I would say almost a million people dead is a pretty significant number. And that's just looking at deaths. I, I, I think that the most important thing aside from, of course, the mortality of this is the long-term symptoms, because that's when you really realize that this is very dramatically different from the flu, um, because 60% of COVID cases have long-term symptoms that um, surpass six months post-diagnosis. And a lot of people that I know have lost s smell and taste. Um, and that's like a, one of the most common side effects that I don't know how long it lasts, but it's a pretty devastating one and it's very trivialized because it's like, oh, well, you're not dead. You don't have a severe illness, but it's like, well, that is a pretty dramatic change. So another talking point that I've heard is like, is COVID statistically more deadly than the flu? No, it's not. It is just another flu. Um, and, you know, I think that we know by now after being in this for two years that, yes, it is more viral. It's more contagious. It spreads more quickly than the flu. And like I said, I mean, the severe illness is more frequent, but the problem is that it's not even the severe illness. It's other kinds of illness that um, 
that are present in long haul COVID cases. So yeah, that I think that's probably maybe one issue where I'm just not sure. I haven't seen convincing data about that uh, in terms of like what actual long term effects. I've only heard anecdotal things, and so I'm the jury is still out for me on that. Even though I think it's very possible um, that it does have, I remember seeing things early on about like organ damage. That stuff seems real, but again, I I just haven't seen enough uh, to know for certain, um, you know what what what's actually happening there. But I think I guess an overall point to make about all this is that it does. It, it's really interesting how you have sort of the alternative narrative that pushes back against the mainstream narrative saying that the COVID deaths are overinflated overall and that it's really not a deadly disease. And the only people, you know, I, and I still see this point talking point pushed by a lot of people that the only people who die from COVID are those who are already immunocompromised or have some are just like unhealthy people. There's sort of like a social Darwinism perspective to that, I think, that is not based on like looking at data or like trying to believe in a narrative that's true. I think it is, there is some sort of weird sort of egotistical thing like I'm going to be safe because I know I'm healthier, you know, like I'm a healthy person and I'm going to be safe. That is a, to me, it's a, I mean, I guess hats off to people who are that confident, but it, to me, it's a little bit of a strange mindset where it does seem a little bit social Darwinistic, like about, like you're you're saying people who are obese or people who are immunocompromised are like not worth uh, helping. Like I don't know the the mindset is is strange to me. Well, this is the mindset that's pushing like something like the um, herd immunity stuff, where it's like that's it's so overblown that we should just let the virus rip through society to build natural antibodies because really the vast majority of society is healthy. Really, we should only isolate and protect the vulnerable or immunocompromised people. The problem, Robbie, not only is it maniacally social Darwinistic and kind of fucked up, or, or frankly, very fucked up, but the big fallacy is that you don't know who's vulnerable or not. It's not like a fucking perfect equation. Of course. That everyone over 60 or whatever, it's like you have no idea. There's 100 million people in America who have underlying health problems, including diabetes. I would say that's a big fucking chunk of this country. Yeah, that's that's partly why it's to me seems a little bit egotistical, magical thinking. And it's coupled with, especially earlier on in the pandemic, this mindset that countries like China are hiding all of their COVID cases. And actually not just hiding like the numbers, somehow like burying the numbers, but also like mass incinerating bodies in like <laughs> hidden crematoriums that show up on like thermal global heat maps that all the, I remember there's like a Bellingcat weirdness to this pandemic really early on where all these people who didn't even seem like far right, like think tank type people were like posting this heat map thing saying like, oh, China totally is fucking just burning up like a million bodies right now because of this like thermal image that someone posted on Twitter. And then the Daily Mail, uh, Daily Mail Online posted that article saying that cell phone records show that like a million or so cell phones were like suddenly contracts canceled in China and this means that they are like somehow getting rid of millions of bodies from COVID. So it's coupled with that. So basically you have two forms of magical thinking sort of coupled together. And then you have sort of the more low-key 
uh, belief which is espoused very often on programs like the Joe Rogan Show, which is sort of this idea of antibodies or natural immunity that if I've already had COVID, for example, uh, then that means, you know, a lot of people will say this, and that means that I'm immune, that I have enough antibodies to not get sick again. Um, that's an interesting statement to make because I don't believe that there's a, you can measure like antibodies, but there's, but most people, uh, have a vastly different response in terms of their actual antibody load after getting COVID. So to say that, you know, like, unless you have like the, the, maybe, maybe Joe Rogan does have like the access to like the most expensive lab equipment to know how many, like exact amount of antibodies he has. But I'd say 99% of the public has no idea. And to think that that's also going to keep you safe is also magical thinking. Like you don't know how many antibodies you've taken in from being infected with COVID already. You don't know if the variant is going to be responding to this antibodies in the same way. And then all the studies show that. They show that you can be build immunity to COVID, but it also shows that it's, again, completely pretty much random, like across the population, how people's bodies develop that. So to believe that just because you're sort of bucking the mainstream dogma narrative on this and that you are just a believer in your natural immunity, I think it's a, it's a little bit magical thinking. It's fine if you want to be in that mindset, but it's also, I think, a little bit egoistic to think that you are going to be safe. Um, you don't know. You, you simply do not know. And again, this is not an argument for why we need to have compulsory vaccination or why vaccination is the solution. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just confused about how, and I, and I think maybe there is sort of a desperation, Abby, people who are, are chosen not to get vaccinated. I do think, especially if you're in an area where there are mandates, like where you have to enter, you know, you have to show your card to get into business, it's probably enormously stressful that people that those people have made that choice it's quite a commitment to make to basically put yourself in a self-imposed isolation societally because you're resisting to take the vaccine and that's a and i respect that choice but it is probably a very stressful choice and i do think stress and desperation has caused some of these people to go into a more uh magical thinking mindset in a different form and that's i just think that's the way human psychology works you know, I've even noticed some people who are very, very rational pushing back against this dogma at the beginning just get slip more and more into like this reptile brain sort of like not logical thinking just because they, they're really riled up about the way the liberal media is talking about this. You know, like the Macron thing about saying that uh, <clears throat> people are enemies who don't take the vaccine or whatever. It's like that shit riles these people up into a really emotional state. And I could see I could understand it. Um, but I just think it's also making it harder for this debate to be nuanced and for people to give each other space to talk about this. I agree for the most part. I mean, I want to get this out of the way, which is we do have data about long haul COVID cases where over 50 percent of people who have had COVID do report symptoms that last Jeez. longer than six months. Um, I mean, I believe. And what like you're you saying, said, yeah. I mean, this is a full throttled attack. This is different from the flu in the sense that, um, you know, this is. This is an illness that is random. It attacks everything from the veins, the blood, the heart, the brain, your testes, colon, appendix, liver, gallbladder, lymph nodes. It, like it, it, it could be a full throttled, fucking full pronged like attack on pretty much every system of your body. It's totally random. That's the point. And 
the flu is much more predictable. We understand the flu more. But to your point about the flu, um, like the natural antibodies thing, it's like, yeah, like I get the flu pretty much every year. And if there was a herd immunity option, I feel like why, you know, it's like it constantly mutates. Like that's the thing. It's like everyone has the flu, but that doesn't prevent us from getting the new iterations of the flu because it's constantly mutating virus. And right now we had the Delta, we have the Omicron. I don't know what variant my family has right now, but it is kind of scary to look at hospitalizations of children being, you know, doubled from what they were before because for the longest time that magical thinking was saying, oh, children are totally not to be harmed, like don't worry about kids whatsoever. And I don't know and I can't assume anything about any age category. So Yeah, I think that that's one of the dangers here that's happening. It's like because the mainstream media is pushing so hard on certain angles and obviously a lot of it is probably propaganda in various forms, it's creating this sort of rush to create the counter-narrative, this more assured counter-narrative. And, you know, it's obviously helping a lot of particular political movements like the Republicans who cosplay as civil libertarians on this issue, even though they've just sort of latched onto it. It's left very little room for space to have more nuanced discussions about this. And I do think we just need to really reflect on how this is still a new and evolving situation. And a lot of things are still sort of unclear and up in the air. And we really have been exploited by various forms of propaganda during this, either by people who want to make us believe that the vac- there's no reason to like even be skeptical about the vaccines. They're perfectly safe. Don't question them. I mean, there's so much social pressure on so many sides of this. You know, even in like the conspiracy scene, it's kind of like everybody just assumes it's a lab leak, you know, of some kind. Either you think it came from the Wuhan Virology Institute or you think it came from Fort Detrick. Well, I've really looked into like anthrax, 2001 anthrax, and now I'm doing these podcasts on smallpox, and I have no certainty that it came from a lab at all i mean so like that's the thing it's like how did people get this certain about it that's where their frame is now we we don't know yet like where the shit actually came from i mean maybe it was natural origin maybe it did leak from a lab maybe it was maybe someone deliberately reason that's like more crazy scenario but i mean we just simply don't do not fucking know that's what i think is so frustrating about this is everybody yeah, the is so certain that people have yeah certainty that people have and also like what you said rang really true which is like the human inclination to be guided by media in a way that you don't even understand and i've been trying to be really cognizant of that like am i being led astray by certain narratives am i able to be independently minded when it comes to something like this without understanding the nuances of the mrna science and you know what i mean like and it, it's hard because I really do have to take a step back and question like, is this really me or is this me being influenced by this herd mentality? Um, especially when you do have like a knee jerk reaction to just what you're being fed by the corporate media and you don't want to just regurgitate what the alternative media is saying because it's so, you know, it is like very dogmatic in its own way. Um, and then you see this mixed messaging with the political establishment, you know, like when Trump was in office, it was the biggest thing in the world. Um, Trump was a disaster. There was that ticker of like every death of COVID. It was like, you know, I didn't know where it was going to go. I, 
maybe you can provide more insight on how the media has changed its messaging in terms of like the liberal media apparatus with the transition from Trump to Biden. Because, you know, I remember saying, I remember Kamala saying like she wouldn't even trust taking Trump's vaccine. Uh-huh. Like how insanely irresponsible is that shit? Well, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, they were, there was, they, basically they went as far as they possibly could with the anti-Trump rhetoric. And at some point they probably realized that there wasn't going to be a vaccine during the Trump era. They had to basically pick up uh, the ball, like from wherever Fauci and the you know Health and Human Services and the NIH had it during Trump, and then try to do what they could with it. Um, the Operation Warp Speed thing, like working with Pfizer and these big pharmaceutical companies, was obviously like just sort of passed from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. So they probably were working on the same overall structured model. And even crazier, Abby, you're the one who pointed this out to me uh, last episode. I don't even think we got a chance to talk about it. But Biden uh, essentially had the same policy. He tried to like push some, I, in my opinion, very draconian federal mandate to like fine employers nationwide for having any unvaccinated employees like $10,000 or something a month, something crazy like that. Um, and it didn't go through. But apparently he has just left this to the states. Which, again, I mean, that is not really a policy. How are you going to control a pandemic? And I'm not arguing for like any kind of federal mandate. But at the same time, if you are just your policy is to leave it to the states, that's the same policy that Trump had. And part of Trump's policy originally was to sort of obfuscate responsibility because he did not get on it fast enough. So by offloading all the responsibility to the states and having them sort of clamor and rush to respond to this with their sort of automatic, you know, scripts or laws on the books of how to respond to a pandemic or an epidemic, that, I mean, that's pretty much what Biden is doing now. Like, what's really different? You know, what has really changed? There really is no difference. And what's worse now is that the complacency and normalization of the pandemic has basically just let all these people off the hook. Where now it's like, well, yeah, we're just going back to work. Like, this is great. Like Kamala and Biden basically tweeting things like the economy's open. This is like, you know, we made it through. It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) COVID is just as prevalent as it was one year ago. There's almost as many people dying a day, like a thousand people a day still. There is this sort of weird turning of the tide in a really strange way where you had this fear-mongering day-to-day nightmare scenario playing out on cable news under Trump to now this kind of background noise, you know? Um, You know, meanwhile, Trump gave us fucking checks, dude. The $2,000 checks. Now it's just about everyone getting back to work and shutting up. And the emotional... Uh, whiplash, the psychological whiplash of having these politicians like, you know, being like, oh, things are going back to normal, we're finally coming around, and then having it, you know, come back so harshly where it's like now it's, you know, everything seems like it's it's going back to that same like heightened fear mentality. They really do a number on society psychologically and the media, the media does seem to want to create these fear cycles or or hype cycles where it does seem like and I don't know if there's like management telling them to do this but it does seem like there's sort of no they they amp it up and then they draw it down and then they amp it up and draw it down and you see it not just on like CNN MSNBC and the way that they d- talk about the pandemic but also the way Fox News does with the outrage 
the societal outrage against mandates and lockdowns and just the concept of vaccines, it seems like every week Tucker and different hosts on Fox News will drum people up into a near civil war mentality and then pull them back down into like a minuscule, relatively insignificant issue by comparison, like transgender, um, you know, swimmers going into women's sports. And like that, it'll it'll oscillate from like Tucker talking about how this is like a great reset globalist conspiracy to like track and control us all. And this is like the end of humanity as we know it. And then like within 48 hours, he'll be talking about like transgender swimmers and like making jokes and silly like, you know, right wing jokes on his show. Mm-hmm. Um, that tells me that there is something. I mean, the media has always thrived on ratings, you know, from generating fear. That's not new. So I think that they've figured out a model, at least, of how to just sort of milk this for all that it's worth. And it's really creating and intensifying that whiplash effect that's, well, that's just hurting people psychologically. It's an, it's an all-encompassing thing. It's like a way for them to not talk about anything else, too. You exactly, know, It's like we, yeah. know how it, we know how they get when they can just fixate on something for weeks and weeks and weeks. That's why they love elections because it's just a six-month boom of ratings. And billion dollar, you know, everyone's just throwing around money and sponsorships and the the ratings are sky high. And so this is a way for them to just, boom, just um, harness all of the energy into something that is just ongoing, kind of unchanging, and just that low level fear uh, that everyone just is used to at this point. I, I don't know the psychological impact of having this go on for two years and, and having watch something like CNN, MSNBC panels day in and day out, I can only imagine. Or Fox. I mean, to the contrary, Fox, like you're saying. I mean, I want to go off on Tucker because he's been extremely irresponsible and really pioneering a lot of the horrible, unfounded rhetoric on the right wing. Corporate media is cartoonishly sponsored by Pfizer or other massive pharmaceutical companies to a ridiculous degree. If you're critically minded, like that is sus, right? I mean, it's like, well, how could I take anything that you're saying at face value? How could I uh, like trust the science that you're putting forward or these advisors or whatever, if you are literally sponsored by the company that's putting forward one of the three main vaccines in the country? I'm not saying that I don't trust the Pfizer vaccine and like whatever. I, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I get the general skepticism of people watching a news program and then after you have a round table of pro-vaccine pundits and then you go to an advertisement saying this entire program is sponsored by Pfizer, like that that's problematic, right? Um, and we are in a country that is constantly self-diagnosing, constantly just fed, force-fed propaganda from pharmaceutical companies. We are one of the only countries in the world that this is a legal thing to do, where pharmaceutical companies can can advertise directly to you. That is largely unheard of. Yeah. So what impact does that have on both sides of the debate? Oh, it's, it's so crazy, Abby. And just the flip side of what you're saying about Pfizer, I mean, Fox News has sort of stunt anti-corporate rhetoric on there where like they'll act like they're against Pfizer they'll sort of skate this certain line, you know, and, and they'll talk about how the mandates are bad or violation of civil liberties. And which I think that they are, they'll talk about those things. And there's this like line that they walk. So like Tucker, for example, he can't bring on someone 
who simply quit their job and walked out of their job because they were made to take a vaccine, like by their employee. He can't bring on a guest like that, even though it seems like it would fit perfectly within his schema of trying to, you know, get the public to pay attention to this for whatever end goal he has. He can't do that because it gets too close to the subject of, is he vaccinated and does Fox News mandate? Yeah, well, he is. That's what I'm saying. All of them are. If he brought that subject up every night and had like a specific case example of it, then it would be too obvious that like he would have to address his own status. And the fact that Fox News mandates you to get vaccinated there, um, it just shows how disingenuous this is on a certain level. And then also the fact that the Pfizer CEO is going on Fox News business and doing some kind of roundtable discussion with them like on like live on TV. There's something that's not quite adding up with all this. And I think that that's what is so fascinating here. You know, the term controlled opposition for a lot of people seems like it's a really ultra conspiratorial concept, but it's like, how else do you explain it when it seems like there's a, you know, they're trying to drum up civil war every week on Fox News, but then you yet you see no actual like on the ground rage materializing into anything serious. Like I saw more outrage at the beginning of the pandemic among the right about masks and all their crazy outburst in public and all the TikTok videos. Where's all that energy now? It, it seems like somebody's, you know, the, the whatever, whoever's behind this, like whatever group of elites or media moguls are behind this, they have figured out a way to sort of really contain and box in this outrage cycle this time in a way that maybe they couldn't do with QAnon. Yeah. It's too explosive, too volatile. This is like more containable somehow. And it's, I don't, I'm surprised by it. Like they're really, to me, playing with fire. Well, I, I mean, it, it, well, it seems almost easy to explain because if you look at the vast majority of the country and a lot of the beginning, there was measures, mask mandates and all that. And that's when people were completely outraged that they felt like masks were infringing on their personal liberty. Now you don't see mask mandates pretty much anywhere. I mean, I, I was just in Florida. There was no pandemic there at all. Not one person was wearing a mask, no vaccine mandates. Of course, Governor DeSantis prides himself on that. But my point is that I think the vast majority of the country is not being forced to do anything. And so what you are seeing is like a lot of astroturfed, whatever exists now is is being boosted by the same people who, you know, this behind the stop the steal energy a lot of that stuff is like being boosted by like coke funding and stuff like that i think that's the thing it's all fragmented and localized like there are very civil liberties infringing rules like in in local cities like they'll put things on the books like santa cruz apparently you know put on the books a few months ago a law saying that if you have family gatherings uh, if it's not someone who is like a guest who lives inside your home, they're su- you're supposed to wear masks when encountering each other in a private home. And it's like, this is just such an absurd thing to put in a law book. Why would they even bother doing this? That's part of maybe why there isn't a more cohesive, you know, movement pushing back against this because it's just, you know, individually up to like whoever lives in these cities who gets pissed off enough, I guess, at these things. But I also just think, Part of the reason that, that that's not happening, why there isn't like a growing resistance movement, why there aren't like massive protests, is because the protests that we are seeing, not that they're all AstroTurf, but they're all like sponsored by mainstream Republican groups. 
they're associated with these main big right, big money groups, like you were saying, and those groups are not going to encourage protesters, for example, to take the Golden Gate Bridge and block it. They had a Golden Gate Bridge anti-vaccine passport protest that was sponsored by some local Republican group. They didn't take the bridge. And I think that that group is basically holding the cards. They could have told them to take the bridge and cause like an internet, like a national, you know, news story for 48 hours. They didn't tell them to do that. So that's also part of what I'm saying about this seems contained. It seems like there's a real utility in ginning people up in, into this frenzy, but then having them basically ultimately not do anything about it. Yeah, because they'd rather just look at other countries and be like, this is where we're going instead of looking at what's been done and being like, this is tyranny. Da, da, da. It's like you can't really, because Biden largely is doing the same policy as Trump at mm-hmm. this point, other than the federal mandates that I think you said were um, the courts voted they're unconstitutional or whatever. So now it's really at the point where both of them kind of had the same continuous policy. And so if you're going to point out, you know, this overreach, it's like, what what exactly are we talking about here? Because largely everyone's just back to normal. I mean, back to work, unless you live in, you know, one of these cities that have the passports implemented. Like we are still in the middle of a fucking pandemic. You also have mixed messaging coming from the administration, like, for example, Fauci and the CDC now having the quarantine time to five days instead of 10. And it's like, well, why? Why is that now an acceptable policy in the middle of this global pandemic where people are getting diagnosed left and right? There's a million new cases. Why all of a sudden are we saying you have to have the quarantine time? Hmm. I wonder if it's because they just want to rush people back to work. So not only is Biden out there saying, oh, we're back to normal, everything's fine on one hand, but on the other hand, they're just like demonizing the unvaccinated, just like all these people are, right? And just further polarizing these people by saying on his website, the White House COVID-19 response coordinator actually said during a press briefing, he said, quote, for the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm, end quote. I don't think that's a very helpful message to be telling people. And it's almost like because the government has failed so abysmally in their entire COVID response, now it's just the onus is now on individuals to get vaccinated. Now it's just this hyper-individualistic thing where the government is now just looking down upon people who are unvaccinated being like, it's your fucking fault. This is why the pandemic is never ending. Instead of looking at themselves and saying, we fucked up. There was no federal lockdown. We let states just run fucking rampant, spread this illness everywhere. Now there's all these variants, mutations that are never going to end. And because people are so distrustful of the media for good reason and the government for other good reasons, they don't trust this. They don't trust vaccinations. I wonder why. I wonder why huge sectors of the population do not trust that this is the answer to stop this pandemic. First of all, you have to get them on board with even trusting the figures that are coming out. So it's like there's so many levels that I totally understand why people don't trust this. I know several people who are in that mindset. So for Biden's office and for the government in general, along with many dutiful stenographers in the corporate media, to just basically ostracize people and just say, you're a fucking moron, anti-science, anti-vaxxer, if you don't understand this, this, and this, 
instead of taking stock on the failures at the federal level and understanding how did we get here? How did we get here? Why is it all of a sudden that the only solution is for people to do their part? What happened to a collect? And I understand that that is also tied to the collective. Yes, doing your part, getting vaccinated is also helping the collective. I'm not even just talking about that. I'm just saying the messaging on the level that absolves all of them and just says, this is the only solution to get out of this pandemic is that everyone should be vaccinated without a massive education campaign, without huge amounts of testing and vaccinations freely available to everyone. Because right now we're, we've stagnated at a, at a rate of, I don't know, like 60% or something, which isn't nearly enough to stop the mutations and new variants. So we are in a really bad way. And it's really unfortunate that now it has just further divided people. And like you said, I mean, the, the space that we don't have, like there is no space that exists on any of these platforms to really have this nuanced conversation and understand where these people are coming from. And to them, it is just the government saying, now you need to do this. And, and the problem is that it's never ending there's a never ending scope of how far is this going to go? How many boosters? How many shots? When all of this started, I didn't even know. I couldn't even conceive that there would be more than two shots that you would need. And now it's just kind of this inevitability that now every six months we have to get this shot. And, and unless you're up to date with your passport, like I don't know if you're going to be able to be accepted into society. And the, the thing is that education was never put out there. Anytime they overplay their hand, when I say they, I mean sort of like the mainstream dogma on this, and they're wrong, it's just going to create a lot of frustration among the public, and understandably so. And yeah, having this thing now where it seems like we are having to get boosters every year or whatever to keep, you know, to have their passport. I mean, they haven't actually said yet that you have to have like, a booster to get in anywhere. I haven't seen that yet, like on any new laws, which is, I guess, a good sign. But I do think that that's obviously the direction that it's probably going to go in if this just becomes the thing you have to do. We should expect that. That's really shitty. And that's just going to make everybody distrust things even more. And I've already talked to a lot of people, like even I was personally hesitant to get the booster at first. I wanted to wait a while or as long as I could hold out just to see what people were saying about it or what the news was about it or what like was coming out about it. And we just don't know. And it's also shitty that it's not done in the way a traditional vaccine is done. So it's not something that is actually going to prevent spread. That's another thing I think we are misled about. It's not like the vaccine, if it was just sold to us as something that would decrease your chances of getting severely ill or dying from COVID. And that's the primary reason you should get it. I think people would be a little more trusting about what's going to be more common knowledge moving forward, which is that it doesn't seem to prevent the, the spread, the contagious nature of these new variants or whatever, or even like regular COVID very much. And that seems to be something that is, again, creating this just giant opening, you know, for the right and sort of the alt anti-MSM narrative to just like drive a Mac 10 truck through and say, well, look, they lied to us again. The vaccine is completely useless. You know, like it doesn't do anything. Well, that, that's what it irritates me a lot. This talking point really irritates me because I see people <clears throat> all the time. This is probably the most prominent talking point, actually, Which one? out of the right wing, is that vaccinated people get COVID. And it's like, dude, I think at this point, I, I feel like 
you'd have to be pretty disingenuous to claim that it would. It's like, I, I, I mean, yeah, I think at first I was like confused about it because I just what I didn't do nearly as much research as I sh- could have about like this vaccine compared to other vaccines or whatever. But I think immediately we knew that this vaccine does not prevent transmission. The point is that no matter what variant you get, your chances of hospitalization and death are far lower than if you were unvaccinated. So I, 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 this is, it's like almost just like a total straw man, like tons of people just being like, what the fuck is the point? Oh, you have COVID and you're vaccinated. Well, da, 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 da. It's like, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's I don't know. What I'm, part of what I'm saying. Like, I don't take that perspective, but the straw man representation or whatever they're reacting against becomes dominant in the alt media sphere. So that's, that's part of what, uh, I think is problematic. So we wanted to get into the idea of side effects of the vaccine in case people have misconstrued our discussion so far and thinking that because Abby and I have chosen to get vaccinated that we don't think there's any side effects. Um, you know, we just want to make sure that we have a part of the discussion where we unpack that whole concept because, uh, it has become sort of a fierce debate where a lot of the stuff circulating around in alt media, it's hard to tell what is true and what isn't. And if it's just speculative or if it isn't, or people are sort of overreaching. The point of this part of the discussion is what are the real side effects that we know of for sure with the vaccine? Um, How do we each feel? uh, How do Abby and I feel about, you know, the concept of side effects ourselves? Like, are we, you know, are we personally worried about getting them? Um, I, just speaking for myself, I was personally worried that some uh, sudden hearing loss I experienced over the last two years uh, was possibly a result of getting the, the Pfizer vaccine. It was just something that happened to me after I got the vaccine, and I personally wonder about it still now uh, if it was a result of that. After getting the booster... Um, I started experiencing the symptoms again. And, you know, is it random? Is it correlated? I can't say. But as someone who is experiencing something like this, it's kind of, you know, it's hard not to think about that. And, you know, every doctor I've talked to acts as if that's completely, you know, erroneous. It's not related at all. I can't escape that thought sometime. Just having said that from my own personal experience, I'm not going to go out there and say that, you know, this is what's happening to me and this is a side effect because I don't think that there's enough correlation. And so it's interesting that a bunch of people were like badgering you to go out there and say that you, because you had muscle cramps when you got COVID, that you should call the side effect hotline. I mean, there were like people, you know, who are taking the opposite um, perspective as us who are sort of acting like that's definitely a COVID side effect and you should have called. And it's like, well, wouldn't that actually like flood the hotline with like stuff that's not real? Wouldn't that actually hurt what you're trying to bring light to, which is real vaccine side effects that you know you can maybe make a pretty educated guess they were from the vaccine, that that's what that hotline is for. But yeah, you're encouraging Abby to call in the hotline for side effects and say that her COVID symptoms were, I mean, it just seems really irresponsible if your goal is to actually shed light on this. So it's, again, strange to see people on social media and stuff 
pushing things that talk about people like dying instantly from the vaccine. Is this a real story or not? Like, what it, what is this I'm seeing? And there's, so there's a lot of people sort of misconstruing things on in all directions. You know, how many stories have we seen now where it's like someone's on their deathbed saying that they've regretted not getting vaccinated in their final words or whatever? I feel like I see like a story like that every week still. I mean, maybe th- some of those are true. But <laughs> or the two minutes hate, just like shaming a conservative who was unvaccinated for dying and it becomes like a big news story. And it's like that's the last thing that her loved ones are going to see is like mocking her. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The Daily Beast, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So like I guess – um we, you know, having this discussion, I wanted to make sure uh, that we source what we're talking about, about these actual trials and what we know about them that have come out. Um, and, you know, that we sort of dif- dif- differ between which vaccines we're talking about. Because in the second part of this episode, uh, we're going to go into all the different actual types of vaccines the different countries are using and here we're primarily using the Pfizer and Moderna one. Like you, I don't even know where you can get the Johnson and Johnson one anymore, but that's what we want to talk about in terms of side effects with those. Actually, most of this debate seems to be occurring about Pfizer. The Moderna side of this and like what side effects their vaccine is causing is actually less known to me. And people don't seem to be as focused on that. So uh, we're going to be focusing on the Pfizer vaccine for this part of the discussion. So what do you what do you know about it, Abby, from what you've seen and how some media is misrepresenting it and, you know, maybe your view on it in particular? Well, let me let me just start by saying because of the enormous and inordinate influence that big pharma has on policymaking and our media in general, um, I'm bombarded with pharmaceutical ads on a daily basis, as we all are for the American audience that's listening to this podcast. And as we all know, it's it's cartoonish the way that these ads are even, you know, pumped into our brains because it's like something as weird as something like restless leg syndrome, which I'm sure is a thing. But then when you pump into someone's mind that maybe they have this and consult with your doctor and but 99% of the commercial is actually about the side effects. And so like it's to the point where like I don't even know what the drug was for because – 90% of of what I'm watching is just talking about how you have risk of like heart attack, death or whatever from taking some drug that might help some ailment that you may have, right? And it's all about like self-diagnosis and like basically urging your doctor who maybe is linked with a pharmaceutical rep and gets perks for prescribing you these drugs to diagnose and get these drugs. Meanwhile, there is fucking so many side effects to every single pharmaceutical drug as clearly is laid out in magazines and ads. So I guess my thing going into this is like, you can't, like side effects are like something that is pretty hard to cover up, especially short-term side effects. I understand that we're talking about specifically the mRNA stuff. It is a new technology and it, and it is just, to clarify, it is just the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. As far as I know, that's the only, those are the only vaccines that are using this technology as opposed to Globally, there are several other vaccines for COVID that are kind of more old school traditional vaccines. So I get that and I and I understand that there's a difference. But I guess my point is that it's hard to have a conspiracy to cover up mass cover up of short term vaccine side effects. 
I think that this is why we knew the anomaly right away about Johnson & Johnson with the blood clots. But yeah, in terms of the side effects from Moderna and Pfizer, I think that we do know what they are in the short term because they have been documented and there are, you know, there are plenty of serious side effects that we should take seriously and we should be transparent about. I just saw Joe Rogan, of all people, share an article by an epidemiologist named Vinay Prasad on a website called Unheard. I don't know what this website is and I'm not sure who this guy is, but I know he's an epidemiologist and he basically is addressing the controversy of someone like Peter McCullough and Robert Malone, who was on Joe Rogan's show talking about stuff that we're talking about now, vaccine side effects, how the risks may outweigh the benefits. You know, they're taking the opposite stance of what I feel like. Um, and of course, you see all of these people lobbying every fucking week to shut down Joe Rogan's platform. Why are they doing that and not doing that to Fox News and all the other right-wing ecosphere that's pushing similar stuff? Hmm. It's probably because Joe Rogan isn't controllable, you know, as much as these other outlets are. And they hate that he has this platform that's enormous, um, that's kind of outside the purview of their control. But here's what's interesting about it is Joe shared this article, and it's a really fair kind of take on both of these figures who have uh, put out a lot of this skepticism. And I just wanted to read a quote from it about this vaccine adverse side effect hotline that a lot of people like Tucker Carlson, like Epic Times, have said is so misreported and underreported that we could actually see deaths and side effects be 20-fold higher than what is reported on these adverse side effect hotlines. This is, a, this is something that is widely available for every vaccine and um, it's supposed to be a very fair, transparent data collection kind of thing. And everything's kind of open. You can go through and see yourself how many tens of thousands of entries have been documented, ranging from very minor things to death. So what this guy is saying is, um, you know, he's, he's basically saying, like, it is very fair to question the efficacy of boosters. You know, the, the fact that we're seeing people in Israel, you know, like one of the highest vaccinated populations that had the third booster and it just seemed like you know the new data coming out with Omicron. it's like how far are we going to take this booster thing like is it going to be forced on us every six months even if the new variants like aren't, aren't like has no effect on transmission at all it's like you know i do think that that is something that needs to be talked about it is a huge problem that now it's morphing into now you have to take this booster every couple months to be able to be allowed in businesses and stuff like that is really extreme. And we do need to have a discussion about that and not just stifle legitimate debate about booster shots. The thing I think is really important here is that I think you're right. The general idea that it would be really difficult to cover up maths, deaths, and very life-threatening side effects in a short term from this, because so many people are getting it. The thing that I think is more concerning is sort of what you're touching on again is this pressure campaign. It's like, where are we feeling forced, quote unquote, to get a booster? It's like a societal social pressure campaign where we feel like we have to, to be able to like function in society. And I do think that people like Pfizer are for sure pouring money into that somehow or like creating you know, creating some of that social pressure with their with the amount of leverage and money they have. So the, I think in terms of like downplaying, how side effects are being downplayed or why it seems like the media, 
you know, seems to shy away from wanting to talk about side effects at first, but then eventually like they'll talk about some of them like months later is, is probably in part due to some corporate influence. So that's like how I think that that's shaping out in that way. But so like, we have to be really concerned about just like social pressure and feeling so much pressure and making decisions based on that is bad in general and whether it's coming from Pfizer or corporations or not, it's like it's it's coming and it's it's really affecting us to feel like, yeah, like we shouldn't even question the idea of getting more boosters. But it's like, well, there's data saying that it's not really doing much in Israel. And the data is changing so much. Yeah, that's And the it problem. seems like there is a lot of pressure out there to like not want to talk about these things either because they seem right wing and you seem like you might be a trumper or a covid denier or because it's like harmful to the public good it's like well no actually there's data saying that it's not i mean like there's literal date like so what art side are you on if you're trying to shut down the discussion you know yeah the problem is it's like obviously mass vaccination is not the solution alone of course like, that's the thing. It's like these people are literally just like, OK, that's it. We've done all we can. Now it's just up to you. You get vaccinated and then it's on you. And it's like, obviously, we've seen data coming from places like Israel. And it's we know that it's not as simple as that. But can I just oh, yeah, yeah. finish my point about VAERS course, yeah. really quickly? So what this guy says about VAERS, which is the vaccine adverse effect I think response something. Oh, I'm sorry. Vaccine adverse event reporting system, VAERS. So, you know, people like McCullough and Joe Rogan have said like it, it could be 20 fold higher. And this is you see this this kind of peddled by people like Tucker Carlson, who says 4000 people have died from the vaccine with no like no nuance at all. And just like literally going out there saying very fear mongery things that I cannot cor- corroborate. Right. But it's based on the data put in by people who are reporting these things. So what this guy is saying, this epidemiologist who Joe Rogan just shared, he said, while I agree there are problems with VAERS, I find it difficult to believe this guy's analysis of it. Here's why. VAERS is a voluntary collection network that's prone to two types of biases. First, it may undercount vaccine-related events because providers did not recognize them or lacked motivation to report them. So that is a thing, right? And that's what they're saying this 20-fold increase could be that people just don't know to report their side effects or they don't know that the side effects are from the vaccine. But here's the flip side is that um, it can overcount them as well because bad things can happen after vaccination, such as heart attack, that are entirely coincidental, but that still might be reported. So I would say it almost evens out. Well, yes, yeah, you know, it, mathematically, it's, yeah, you, you can't. You know? That's why it, it's like cherry picking this stuff is so it's not really useful for the debate. It's like we got to have a really honest discussion about it. This guy follows up and he's just like trying to find safety signals due to vaccination requires comparison against base rates. Statistically, how many events are expected to occur without vaccination? So, you know, like your hearing loss thing, like how statistically, how likely is that to happen in, you know, males aged your age group? just in general compared with or without the vaccine. And so that's what this guy is saying is that we need to take that data into consideration too. Like how many base events are expected to occur with or without vaccination, even very unusual events such as blood clots that happen after J&J stand out quickly. Similarly, elevated myocarditis risks in young men jumped out immediately because it was anomalous. 
He's saying that like deaths are trickier to parse, of course, because you have to know pre-existing conditions, medical problems, like like a case by case basis. And you need to kind of weigh this data against also like people would say, well, even if even if we take Tucker Carlson's claim that 4000 people have died from the vaccine, like that is fucking insane. Right. But this guy's saying um, even if that were true, you have to weigh that against the people who have died from covid. So it's. It's a good article because it 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 it's treating the argument fairly and I really haven't seen people actually like like address these in a fair way without just mocking them or just shutting them down. And also, I mean encouraging debate. I mean his whole consensus here is like we shouldn't be shutting down the debate and we should actually talk about these things because there's bits and pieces that are true and false. Exactly. I mean and that's why I think some of this alt media Let's just be honest. It's it's fear mongery on the alt media side too. The mainstream media is fear mongering about COVID and creating all the social pressure to take the vaccine in some instances, and then the alt media is sort of, you know, doing anything they can to sort of create the counter narrative, including just like hyperbolically inflating things, cherry picking things, sort of fear mongering in their own way. It's harmful because when it comes to things like the uh, like suppressing or drastically altering the menstrual cycle of a lot of women who have reported this anecdotally. Like I started seeing stuff about it anecdotally first. And I think that that's clearly just from my own perspective, that's a problem. And that lowers faith in any kind of public health. It's like, if we have to hear about this anecdotally first from like personal accounts and it's not being reported right away in the media in a in a loud enough way. Maybe it was somewhere in some, you know, big paper somewhere I didn't see. Um, it's it it's a problem. And it and it's makes me concerned. It's it it's not that I'm like convinced that Pfizer somehow owns a stake in that paper and they've put their thumb on the scale and hidden that. It's more like there does seem to be some reason to like not want to talk about this stuff. And that's concerning. Yeah, and especially the the blood like menstrual cycles like that's that's scary because then it automatically makes you think that there's infertility issues. Absolutely. And it's something that is very noticeable. It's like there aren't really I mean, yeah, there's medications you take for hormonally or birth control that alter your menstrual cycle, but how many medications out there that you take, you know, prescription or otherwise where it's like, "Oh, by the way, one of the side effects is you're not going to have your period" until like 14 days after you normally would. So just expect that. Like, that's a pretty big thing. Most people would notice that, <laughs> is what I'm saying, is directly correlated, you know? So that's that's weird that it would, it's worrisome that it would take a while. And frankly, I don't even think that side effect is being talked about enough. And I and I know for a fact it's no. happening. Like, I, I've heard of, in my own life anecdotally. It's not just like I've read about it. I certainly have seen a lot about the menstrual uh, cycle side effects um, in mainstream publications, but it seems like they're almost just like, do not worry about this at all. Oh, yeah. Like if you're getting so, this side you know, effect, it's fine. Yeah. And, and there's been a history going back decades that certain vaccines should not be given to pregnant women that are that are very much encouraged to take, including the smallpox vaccine. That was going to be one of mm -hmm. the exceptions that if you're a pregnant woman um, who had like a government job, you would be able to do a waiver and not take it. They were making all government employees 
um, after 9-11 take smallpox, like people stationed in the Middle East, smallpox vaccine. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's totally understandable. And this is not, it's, I think this is part of what, why it's dangerous to let a corporation like Pfizer have so much influence over the United States debate or dialogue or media landscape. It's because if this was really about public health, it would be like, hey, certain people be a little more worried about taking it. Like we don't know yet. You know, there seems to be some data to suggest that maybe this is not the best thing for a pregnant woman to take. Maybe this, but it seems like they're just inching it more and more forward to be like, well, now like people five years old can take it. And it just seems the pendulum seems to be just swinging so hard and they did the other direction. It just gives you the gut feeling like there is deliberately being made little room left for debate just so that we're just kind of blindsided by all of it. And that way yeah. we're being taken advantage of. And that is, you know, creating an understandable reaction on the other side. And and the reaction on the other side is becoming a dominant narrative where you have literally an alternate reality promoting the same statistics, but a reversal of the narrative. So, for example, the fact that there's been a, you know, a huge surplus of deaths because of COVID, obviously, that there's no avoiding that truth. Yet somehow places like the Epic Times, which I now a daily subscriber of their digest because I'm fascinated with uh I'm, I'm taking a cue from you, Robbie, and I'm finally looking at what the right-wing media is saying because I think it's very important because of how prevalent and widespread these beliefs are. I want to understand them because I need to understand that I'm actually, my beliefs are founded in, you know, in truth-seeking and I'm not just like dogmatically accepting or seeking out my own confirmation bias. But anyway, places like the Epic Times are actually flipping this narrative on its head and is saying the 40% increase in excess deaths is actually because of the vaccine and that it's not attributed to COVID. And so it's a really fascinating thing that we're seeing where it's it's just dueling reality. It's honestly like the Kyle Rittenhouse shit. It, it's very weird because it's it's like I'm living in another reality than these people. But the last thing I want to say about known side effects, the COVID-19 mRNA vaccination specifically, um, is this topic that's come up recently and become sort of a controversy of myocarditis. And what's fascinating is this was sort of, again, downplayed as being something that was, you know, a notable side effect of the vaccine, something that, you know, showed up statistically higher at a higher rate in the vaccinated than in the, than just in the regular population, statistically speaking. The CDC finally had to actually add myocarditis as a known side effect for either of the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. They have a section on their website now from November 12th, 2021, when this was posted. And it says that what you need to know. Cases of myocarditis reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, have occurred after mRNA COVID vaccination, especially in male adolescents and young adults, more often after the second dose, and usually within a week of vaccination. Most patients with myocarditis or pericarditis who received care responded well to medicine and rest and felt better quickly. Uh, So this is sort of interesting. The first half of this, you know, it sounds very alarming. The second half of this almost seems to downplay myocarditis. 
then it continues to say, patients can usually return to their normal daily activities after their symptoms improve. Those who have been diagnosed with myocarditis should consult with their cardiologist about return to exercise or sports. Both myocarditis and pericarditis have the following symptoms. Chest pain, shortness of breath, feelings of having a fast-beating, fluttering, or pounding heart. So, I mean, I guess the worrisome part about this is, yeah, if your child does any heavy sports where they're really putting stress on their heart, you're a young male and you already have any kind of heart condition, or even an older male with a known heart condition. Like, what if you already have reoccurring or myocarditis or something like heart inflammation already? Is it safe to take the vaccine? I mean, what I'm struck by looking about on here is it doesn't even have like a saying like click here to see like what pre if you have these health conditions like might increase your chances of myocarditis or you know you could be more affected by myocarditis if you get this side effect like I don't even see anything on their website about this so again sort of like the menstrual cycle thing even though it was eventually acknowledged and officially talked about well yeah I actually don't know if that's been officially talked about on by the CDC, but the myocarditis thing has been. But it does, again, seem to downplay um, what myocarditis is and how it's sort of like, you know, you'll get better eventually kind of thing. But what's fascinating is when the smallpox vaccine rollout happened during the Bush administration, which I've done a three-part series about this. Um, if you're a subscriber to Media Roots Radio Patreon, you can check that out. In this series, I go over how, well, in the newest episode of it, I go over how myocarditis also appeared as a side effect from the smallpox vaccine. And in some cases, there were like serious adverse, you know, heart reactions, people with myocarditis who had heart attacks and went to the hospital. Now, I guess the unfortunate thing is, where do we actually find out the hard data right now of things that seem like likely candidates for serious myocarditis reactions from the vaccine or even worse, like heart attacks, um, worse heart problems. Where do we actually know where to find that information from? Because in alternative media, it does seem like you kind of just have to suspend disbelief to an extent and be like, yes, all these athletes that are dying uh, right now that are dropping dead, this must be because of the vaccine. Like you, you not saying that that's not possible. It's very possible that that's the case. I'm not trying to debunk that story at all. Part of me is just wondering though, how do we actually know? Where can we find the actual data? And that's part of the issue for me right now is it's hard to know what to trust out there. I mean, obviously these official government sources are very hard to trust. Uh, the, you know, the corporate influence media is very hard to trust. But when you find out that AT&T was funding 90% of the OAN network, I mean, where where's this line between corporate and alt media now? Is there some kind of benefit to, you know, outrage cycling people, you know, using alternative media, but then diffusing the outrage outward, who it's directed towards sort of diffusing it not necessarily trapping it inside of a box, because maybe that's too difficult to do, but diffusing the rage. Maybe that's part of what QAnon was really about 
at its core to diffuse the outrage, direct it out in such a way into the atmosphere that it's basically toothless and it's not going to do anything, even though it's mixed together with like violent, sometimes violent civil war rhetoric. So again, I do think this is part of how people are sort of staying controlled right now is they're being outrage cycled and, you know, kept in this sort of lockstep alt media cycle that's really homogenous now at this point, uh, almost as homogenous as the mainstream media. And it just sort of keeps cycling it. You know, you'll have things that seem like it's amping people up into civil war against school boards one week. And then the next week it's about transgender athletes, um, you know, in, in women's swimming and how dangerous that is. Then they oscillate back and forth, you know, but that's, again, that's not to say that the COVID positions are neither left or right wing. It's that this has been sort of a forced politicization. I think there's a perfectly logical left wing position to take on being anti mandates, vaccine mandates, perfectly reasonable to take that position on the left. And as I show in my smallpox series, the right was actually very much pro-vaccine mandates during the war on terror for smallpox, even though there was no smallpox currently happening. I don't think this is this political realignment where all of a sudden the left is against civil liberties and the right is for it. I think what we're witnessing is it, it basically just a form of very controlled opposition. Society is sort of slipping away from the control of the elites, if you want to take this more simplified, zoomed out view. So what do you do to try to get people controlled? Well, you can't let something like alt media and the conspiracy media world be a, just a completely independent engine because eventually there's going to be real outrage that comes out of that and it's going to influence people and it's going to create some organic you know, rage out there that you're not going to be able to contain. So if you can sort of generate it and keep it cycling um, in this very specific way, I think that's the way to diffuse it. Now, I'm going to talk about this more along with Abby on part two of this episode, um, which should come out back to back with this one. We're going to go into the whole Robert Malone phenomenon, the World Economic Forum, you know, why that's become such a specific target. Is it just because of the event 201 simulation? Uh, you know, Klaus Schwab is now uh, becoming just as much of a sort of a focal point villain character as Fauci is in the eyes of many of these Americans who follow this sort of alt media narrative. And we're going to examine that and sort of break down why that is, you know, what's legitimate about that, what's sort of overblown about that, what's bad about the World Economic Forum, and then also who is not getting the scrutiny they deserve right now because of overfocus on things like the World Economic Forum, meaning which groups are not getting any heat right now that deserve it? Like, is the Pentagon, who is instrumental in the biodefense industry and gain-of-function research, are they escaping scrutiny right now? And I think that the answer is obviously yes. Um, and that's an interesting thing to examine is why that is. And I kind of stole that premise from um, Gumby, a frequent guest on our podcast, because I think it's a really interesting premise to examine, similar to how the CIA escaped a lot of scrutiny during the NSA disclosures via Edward Snowden. 
Uh, were there people in the CIA benefiting perhaps from that and maybe even playing into uh, make, you know, making the NSA seem like they were the uh, main villain in this equation? You know, even though they deserve to be villainized, you got to wonder what kind of politics and information war plays into these things. And discussion, COVID is a perfect example of how there are a lot of motives at play, I think, right now. But in the next episode, we will cover all of the vaccines specifically. We will unpack the history of Moderna more and how sketchy their company is. And we just have a lot more to cover in this topic. Let's get out of this really emotionally reactive headspace and try to think critically while understanding and giving ourselves a break for being under this enormous amount of social pressure. It's stressful, uh, no matter how you land on this side of the debate. Hope everybody's well out there. Stay tuned for the next episode of Media Roots Radio. We also have an interview with Yasha Levine coming out soon. And if you're not already a subscriber to Media Roots Radio, please consider becoming one by going to patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. Thank you.